Make Halloween fun and easy. One-stop shopping at Woolworth or Woolco for your Halloween needs. Costumes from $1.83 to $3.99, like Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman, Superheroes, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, and a new favorite for girls, Holly Hobby. You can get wrapped candies of every kind. Bubblegum, lollipops, fun-size candy bars. Get this Halloween record. Sounds to make you shiver just $1.89. Make Halloween fun and easy. Make just one stop at Woolworth or Woolco. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is exciting. It is our final installment of the month-long Halloween horror extravaganza for October. And we haven't slept the whole month of October. We've been going. No, we've been we've been going we've been up. We've been researching. Up and at them. Yeah. We've been chain smoking. And keeping in the tradition of last year's October. We did Season of the Witch. We did Season of the Witch just before Halloween. Yeah. So this year, we're going to keep with that theme of doing a Halloween-specific Halloween, uh, the holiday-related movie as our one just before Halloween. So it's not just a, it's not just a horror movie. It's, it's a movie that takes place on the holiday. Yeah. yeah. Or it's, how, you know, definitely. Not necessarily have to be a Halloween, but we are doing yeah. a Halloween. Coincidentally, <laughs> we happen to be doing a quote-unquote Halloween movie. We're going in reverse order this year. <laughs> and, you know, I have to say that I was uh, pleasantly surprised that you let me do this one. Donald pleasantly surprised. Donald pleasantly surprised. Because we, for those out there that are listening in internet world, the land there of- has been this, I wouldn't say it's, a, it's not an argument, but there's been a discussion going back and forth about sequels. Yeah. And should we do a series in order, and we, we kind of came up with, like, well, if the sequels aren't really related to each other, then we can do them out of order. But this one is, like, you couldn't be more related to them. That's true, because it does start <laughs> off. It starts off, with, it, it starts off in the climax of the last movie. <laughs> it is, um, it very well could be the only movie, definitely the only horror movie, that picks up the minute where the first one leaves off since it's Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, and I was trying to think, is that right? Because I, I felt like we talked about that before, and I thought there was some other movie that did that, but I can't freaking... I can't, for the life of me, I can't... That's, why, like, that's why I say could be. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be something where, like, in a week from now, I'll be in the shower, but, like, ah. or you'll wake up out of a sound sleep. Um, yeah, because Bride of Frankenstein does that. It picks up right where the first one ends. I think it picks up right in the... I mean, the Hammer movies do that. There's a Hammer movie, uh, a Christopher Lee... Um, Dracula, where it picks up when he's being killed at the end, because it starts off where like the new character in the new movie's looking over the mountain and watching him get killed. Oh. Okay, so then it's not part of. But it's it's there though. I mean, you know, it's very obscure. So it's like this is one of those you know Rocky two, Rocky two, <laughs> you know, right, <laughs> but right, that, yeah, that would be right around this you know, time. Uh, we haven't had the Back to the Futures yet. Um, That's true, but yeah, but that uh, would be later. I guess the the dead movies, Dawn of the Dead, Dawn of the Dawn, that kind of takes off with the chaos of of night, but it's not like they're not back. You know, you don't yeah, see Ben getting killed not, at the yeah, end. It's not know? like it ends with Ben getting shot, and yeah. then the first scene is like them, them dragging him out with the hooks. <laughs> How impressive would that be? Yeah, that's the, that's the, 
and it's it's like the 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 the, the, the uh, hunting party going home. <laughs> yeah, that it's about the hunting party for the rest of the movie. Yeah, those white supremacists. Um, so I was thinking this this brought me down memory lane because uh, this week we're doing uh, Halloween two. Halloween two. 1981. Not Season of the Witch. Not Season of the Witch. I don't think there is a byline for this one. Just there is. How, it's, it's, uh, um, I mean, there's maybe a tagline, but yeah. There's oh, there's no like, byline. No, no, yeah, no, no, there's no, no, no. The tagline is like, Michael, Michael Myers still no, fucking up shit. <laughs> he's still coming back and doing more. He, you haven't killed him yet. Uh, the tagline is more of the night he came home because the original yeah. one was the, the night, night he came home. He came home. This one is more. Of the night. More <laughs> of the night that he came home. You thought it was over, but it's not over. Because it was more. He's still home. Fucking shit up. Welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Saturday Night Movie Sleep. <laughs> That's like the 80s. Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. <laughs> or the James Brown. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. yeah, we got two guys that just have are putting capes on us. We keep yeah. getting up. No. We have a live. We should have a live band. That's like. Yeah, imagine that <laughs> in, in this cramped crap basement. <laughs> uh, I'm Dion Baya, uh, Jay Blake. Jay Blake. Well, we're always along for the ride. Um, it, it, we switch off who's driving, who's hitting shotgun. Today's. Um, uh, I don't know. It's a special one for me. So you yeah. were going to say this goes oh, down this memory is, lane. It, it reminds me of memory. Reminds me of memory lane. It brings it back down memory lane. <laughs> reminds me that there's a memory lane. Out <laughs> there, there. There's a lane that I'd like to go down. That it's full of memories. Not all of them are good. It's true. Uh, I was thinking about growing up in the Halloweens, not the movies, but the the, the, the and it got me thinking of like the old days of you know growing up in the early '80s when this came out, and then like all the stigmas that were there. Certainly, like in this movie, when you see the kid going to the hospital with the razor apple, there are all yeah, these yeah. like. You know, when you're growing up, first of all, I remember like going to like uh, in like kindergarten or first grade, like the Catholic school I was I, I, I went to, like they had like a little festival like uh, at night, like in the basement of the of the I guess the gym in the boiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was some guy with a in a striped sweater. <laughs> it was just letting all the kids go down, and they were, remember like you know you you would bob for apples and all this kind of thing, and I remember I, I was wearing a. It got me thinking about the costumes I wore growing up. And I remember, like, one of the first ones I can remember is, like, a clown. Ironically, much like the clown costume he wears in the first Halloween when he kills his sister. Uh-huh. Um, but my mom made me and my sister, like, a clown costume. Like, like not freaky, but just like a... Yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, I remember that I had a G.I. Joe outfit. And it was one of these... Do you remember these... The, the outfits where it's just like the it's the plastic mask that goes over your face. Oh yeah, and it's like connected the, to like the the, the the garbage bag. Yeah, yeah, like the plastic. Uh, yeah, it's like it's highly flammable. You know, <laughs> melt on. Yeah, it can melt on. You know, it's really. Like, <laughs> that was a huge in the uh, in the seventies and eighties. That that and you had one of everything. You can have like strawberry shortcake. You can have freaking Star oh, yeah, there Wars. Was every, you can we have had, G. The G. only Joe. one I ever remember having, and I don't remember ever doing it for Halloween. Maybe my brother did it one year for Halloween. Was. Uh, Take what's, your time. What's the uh, Blue Falcon? And Dog Wonder. Yeah, we had, we had a Blue Falcon mask. Dino, uh, 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 Dino Mutt, right? Dog Wonder, so that's di- the Dino, Dino Mutt Hour, maybe? Yeah. We had a Blue Falcon one. That's pretty sweet. Blue yeah. Falcon and Dog Wonder. Dog Wonder is the, uh, I don't know how he's related to Scooby-Doo because yeah. he's, a, he's technically a robot. <laughs> But maybe Scooby-Doo he, shows up. They when they maybe he's like a, he's a cyborg. They did the uh, it was like the Scooby Dynamite Hour when they came back in like '76, and it was like a half hour be a new Scooby-Doo, and then you'd have like a Dynamite, which is like you know pretty cool. And that only came on DVD recently because I was looking for 
particular bad guys in the Scooby-Doo lore, and I was like, oh, they're in that thing. So I had you have to get them, and then you know they're they're kind of married those the two complete episodes. Collection. Yeah, I, I I love my Scooby-Doo. Mine is Scrappy, of course. Who doesn't? Everyone hates Scrappy. I don't mind Scrappy. So no, much. he starts fights, and then he you know. <laughs> He picks a freaking fight. He's like high on coke all the time. He's like he's like a little Joe Pesci. It's minus like you know he doesn't really ever you know finish it. You know he's like the guy that just starts talking shit to somebody at a bar. You're like Scrappy, what are you doing? <laughs> Yo, calm or, down, man. Or or the late Bruno Kirby. Yeah, exactly from uh, Donnie Brasco. <laughs> Um, so, I, but that that company must have made like zillions of dollars. That whoever, uh, yeah, shit they out must those. have. And I'm sure the licensing must have been crazy. Because I, I, but I, I wonder if it's back in the day when there wasn't, you know, yeah. companies that no, sure you can do it. You can yeah, have all the what profits. The fuck? Who cares? We don't need any royalty. <laughs> what is a royalty? You know, I mean, it goes back to the days of like like Twilight Zone. Like Sir Rod Serling never saw any money from the old Twilight Zones or his family. And same yeah. thing with, you know, I think the Honeymooners. All those old until people realized syndication. Like shit, we could be getting money from this. Yeah, those uh, things were awesome. Those little yeah, and they, they they come like it was almost like like shrink wrap. So it was only like they come in like a bag that was only as big as the mask. Yeah, and you take yeah. it out, you unfold it like a garbage bag. Then you get into it, and I think you'd only get one use out of it because it would rip by the end of the night. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, good stuff. Yeah, it's 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 so funny thinking of all that. And then I and then it also thought of me like growing up, it was clutch every Halloween I'd watch Garfield's Halloween special. Mm-hmm. Love that bad boy where they uh, he dresses as a pirate. I is every kid dressed as a pirate growing up? I don't think I ever went as a pirate. No, I went as a pirate one year. You get the hook that you hold onto the hand, the thing, you know. I remember I went as a Jack in the Box. My mom made how the hell does that work? Make it a Jack in the Box. I was basically a con costume, and then my mom made like a, a cardboard box, a, a cardboard box that I would that I would kind of wear. Yeah, but I was I was so little <laughs> that I couldn't walk up the steps to get to houses because the box was in the way. Oh yeah. yeah. So then we had to like lose the box, and then I was just a clown. Right, but you only realized it in in like practice. Like you, yeah, you yeah, like try we, it out. Yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. went to the first like, time. We like, went Fuck. out. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, all right, let's go home. Let's take the box off. And it's funny because uh, maybe it was last Halloween. You know, I got into that show uh, basically because you mentioned it in the Transformers cast. Um, Goldberg's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which takes place like in Philadelphia in the '80s. Yeah, and so it's very reminiscent to my childhood and my mom's kind of like a crazy you know <laughs> 80s mom you know like very passionate and protective mother i mean obviously in the show it's a much more exaggerated uh, thing but so like i that show is like some of it is crazy in that like how close it is to like my upbringing there was a halloween episode where i forget whether it's the older brother or, or the the main kid but they go as a rubik's cube Wow. And the same year that I went as a Jack in the Box, my brother went as a Rubik's Cube. And is, is the show take place that year? I don't know, because they never actually mention oh, yeah. what year it is. But they do show, uh, to my understanding, like in the credits, they'll show actual home video. So it's like, how, many, how much fucking home video does he have? <laughs> Every episode is based off of like a, a home video, right? But that same year, there was like, one of them goes as the Hulk, and the other one goes as... Uh, a Rubik's Cube. And then those are definitely like, we have Halloween pictures of like... And your brother had not, no problem getting up those stairs. Not, well, he was a little bit older. So than I was five years. <laughs> he was five years older. Than I got I was. jumped on Halloween. Uh, a bunch of kids, me and a friend of mine, Martin McHugh, we were going house to house. It was the first time I, we talked my parents out of letting us go on our own. Yeah, that yeah. was the big thing. Sixth grade, come on, we're old enough. You know, and they're like, all right. And then we get jumped by a bunch of kids. They take your candy. Uh, they, they took our candy. They ran by us. They took our candy. I grabbed one of them, and we both fell. 
and he was ahead of me, and he, and his, and he kicked me in the face with his, with, his, uh, with his boot. Damn kids. And then my dad was, like, across the street in the car with, with my sister because he was tricking her. I was like, Dad! And he got out of the car and started yelling at him, and then it caught a big scene because they, like, came out of the street and gave him the candy. Like, you want to fuck in my neighborhood? You want to fuck in my neighborhood, you motherfucker? You know, I was saying all these other different epithets that I can't repeat. And I was like, Dad, it's okay, thank you. And then, like, you know, it was really, then, that, then the rest of the night consisted of me and my best friend driving around with him and his best friend looking for the kids. Is that, is that him? Is that them? No, 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 it's okay. So, good old memories of Halloween. Yeah, those are some good memories. The old times. Um, yeah, and then it, it, I remember, you know, growing up in the 80s, and it doesn't seem like it's an issue anymore, but that was the big thing. It's like, you know, if you, if, if you were go alone like nowadays i would never let my kid like the kids could be 16 17 18 years old like they'll go trick-or-treating with the kid you know but there was like don't accept open candy don't yeah. accept you know anything that's like you know uh freaking uh, homemade you know an apple whatever you're gonna yeah, throw yeah. it out and even like you know that was the, when you still get change you get like a nickel or a dime from yeah, an elderly yeah. person people are like what the fuck is this <laughs> jesus <laughs> this is this you're giving me money from your pension fuck you yeah, you'd always have, there's, I always remember, and we probably talked about this last Halloween a little bit, I always remember there's always one house that has, like, the full-size candy bar. Yeah. Like a full-size Snickers. Yeah. Where they got, like, a you know, enough yeah. full-size yeah, Snickers Prior to bar. the days of, like, a Costco <laughs> BJ's or Price Club. Or there's always one house that gives you a full-size. <clears throat> And then there's always in your in your bag of candy. There's always one pack of those candy bottle caps. Yeah, always or just tootsie one. rolls. People just giving out. Here's one tootsie roll for you. Yeah, yeah. Like well, I always like the uh, like the other. I, I'm a tootsie roll fan. See, this is we did this last year because you told me that that there were other flavored tootsie rolls, which I just learned last year yeah, in that yeah. cast. And that's, that's the only time you would really see them. At, is that Halloween? I've never heard of that because we would uh, me and my friend again, the kid Martin McHugh, we'd go to like the local market, we'd buy like a Twix or a Three Musketeers and a soda, and then whatever change we had left in pennies, we'd buy Tootsie Rolls, because they're like a penny yeah, piece. Yeah. And we'd just sit there at the local school in the playground, eat them and get sick to our stomach. <laughs> eat, as, eat as much as you can at Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> Come on, finish them all. But um, anyway, so Halloween. Yeah. It was, a good, it was a magical time, especially for if you're in the Northeast, because you got a little brisk in the air. Yeah, change the, of the season. The changing of the, the leaves by October, at least where, I, where, you know, we are a little bit north. You're, you were north of New York, York and you were but north I was north of you. So I mean, even by then, like, most of the leaves might have been off the tree by, by that time. The beautiful foliage. I mean, well, after we had moved in Philadelphia, obviously, we were south of Yeah. New York, but there weren't that many trees <laughs> there. Where they don't believe in, in trees down in Philadelphia. At least not in the neighborhood that I grew up in, in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, so it's like a nice, it's like a, but in, I, I guess I can, I always, you, you always remember things differently, but it seems like a, like a lot of Halloween movies are always take place like in the Northeast, but I guess that's not true because this takes place in LA. Well, or no, Hatfield, Hatfield. Hatfield, Illinois. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Which is kind of based on it. Haddonfield, New Jersey, actually, because I don't think there's a Haddonfield, Illinois. Yeah, and within a lot but of they went there and they like spray painted leaves. If you, if you watch the, it's more it's more relevant in the first one because you see Halloween during the day. Yeah, in the first one they had to make it seem like fallish. Yeah, they had spray painted all these leaves and then they would put them out like in the yard, and then when they changed location, they had to gather up all the leaves, take them. To the Imagine <laughs> to being a PA, PA on that the, film. To the next That's location. your thing. Is like you have to. That you're just basically raking leaves and putting them out, raking leaves and putting them out. That's horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is this is Halloween two from 1981. Uh, Nick Castle is not in the movie. Nick, Nick Castle does not reprise his role as the shape. Yeah. Uh, sadly enough, because then he goes on. And he's like, "Fuck this! I'm going to do Last Starfighter." <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think there was a little bit of time. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. But you get, you get uh, Dick Warlock. Awesome last name, by the way. Dick Warlock, stuntman, stunt supervisor. Doubled yeah. Kurt Russell in Escape from New York, and that's how he met John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. And he was in an episode of uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker. Good old get Dara McGavin. And uh, Deborah Hill, uh, they finished uh, Escape from New York, and Deborah Hill was like, hey, we're going to go produce Halloween 2. Do you want to be the stunt coordinator on it? Yeah. So he met with Rick Rosenthal, the director. Now, Carpenter was asked to direct, and Carpenter's like, no. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot, I don't know, there's a long story. I mean, you know, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. And it's also like... And luckily, we have a, a aficionado of the Halloween, uh, John Carpenter. And obviously, like, it's very tempting to dive, you know, deep into the first one as well. Um, but <clears throat> basically what happens is, in a, in a nutshell, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill get hired to write and make a movie called The Babysitter Murders, mm. I think. And uh, they start writing it, and then Irwin Yablans, the producer, he comes up with this idea of calling it Hall- of calling it Halloween because he discovers that there's never been a movie title that has ever used the word Halloween in it. It's astounding, isn't it? By 1977, <laughs> 78. So he comes to John Carpenter. He's like, I want to call it Halloween. And Carpenter's like, okay, we can set it on Halloween. So then they start their... Oh, so it wasn't even involved around the holiday first. I don't think so. It's just a horror movie about a babysitter. It's kind of like the the, uh, When a Stranger Calls, like something like that. So then they they make it on Halloween. John Carpenter directs the movie. As everybody knows, it becomes, at the time, like the... And for a long time, like the most successful independent movie of all time. Unbelievable. It makes it was made for like three hundred thousand dollars or something. Makes you know like upwards of fifty million bucks or whatever. And that's back in the day when yeah, a dollar was worth a dollar. <laughs> fifty million dollars was fifty million. But Carpenter says he doesn't. He didn't see a lot of that money. No, I mean nobody did back then. Yeah, it seems like the nobody but, yeah. nobody made what they should have made. Yeah, he also he didn't own it. Um. But he came up with him and Deborah Hill came up with basically everything himself. The whole I know, but he was hired. It was a job. Yeah, I yeah. mean, even he, he's always the first one to kind of point out the ones that were hired jobs. And so he was like, "I was hired to make a movie, and I made a movie. Like that was that." And uh, <laughs> I'm not pissed off or have any grudges <laughs> against it. You know, he was hired to make a movie about Elvis. He made a movie about Elvis. You know, he's like, "I was a gun." He was a, a TV you know, movie. That's when he first met uh, Kurt Russell. He was a gun for hire. And um, that movie comes out and Halloween kind of changes the landscape of horror and independent cinema in a way. And it's, it's billed as kind of the first slasher movie. Although yeah. we tried to dispute that in like we the Black dis- uh, Christmas. <laughs> we dispute that in the Black Christmas uh, podcast. podcast because a lot of the conventions that we get, get known for in the slasher uh, subgenre actually kind of start earlier than Halloween. But Halloween is so successful that it kind of becomes the landmark. And then, like everything, and we've talked about it with the Italians and, and America, yeah. then we start to get, like, I wouldn't necessarily say copycats, but it begot things like Friday the 13th. You know, you start to get, like, slasher movies. The term slasher movie probably didn't even exist yet. But you yeah. start to get, like, these killer movies but also like on a holiday yeah, yeah. <laughs> although Bloody, Black Bloody Cri- although again Black, Black Christmas, Christmas did the it first one yeah 
And that's um, what, 74 maybe, Black Christmas? 70, I believe it's 74. It's, it's like the same year as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And this is uh, the first Halloween is 77 or 78? 78, okay. It comes out in 78. And then it's just, it's... And it's surprisingly not a gory movie per se. So even though, you know, you think of a slasher film or like a Friday the 13th. No, or, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tame. Kind of, yeah. Um, I mean, you see murders and death, but there's no like you know yeah, blood there's, shooting. There's out. not a lot of blood and stuff. That doesn't actually start to happen until like Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why Halloween Two is so much gorier. Yeah, it's weird. The, the poor uh, Rosenthal kind of got like Orson Welles, you yeah. know, like where he did the movie and then he was trying to make it. I guess like a, like kind of like visually like be kind of uh, just as. You know, striking yeah. as the first movie, or just to look just as uh, yeah, yeah. close, and then it, 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 you know, Carpenter came in and said, "No, no, no, <laughs> I didn't want to direct it, but I'm going to reshoot a yeah, lot yeah, of shit yeah. and add so it." So we'll get so yeah. Before that happens, it, it's it goes over huge. Um, right away, Erwin Lablands, Erwin uh, Lablands is like, "We should make a sequel." It made a fucking shitload of money. Like, why not make more money? Carpenter's like, "Yeah." I'm not interested in doing a sequel. I already did it once. I already did the movie. Like, I'm not interested in repeating myself. So some time passes, and Carpenter goes on, and he wants to do uh, The Fog. Mm. And he's like, and I got this other movie I want to make. It's called The Fog. And Erwin LeBlanc is like, all right, well, you know what? We'll make The Fog. And then maybe (laughs) afterwards we can talk about making Halloween too. And he's like, okay, that sounds like a good plan. Whatever, I want to make the fog. So then, uh, Yablans meets with somebody from Avco Embassy, which is another uh, company that makes lower budget movies, but still pumps a little bit of money into them. So it's like a step above the kind of stuff that Yablans was making in terms of like budget. And he finds out that Carpenter's agreed to do the fog with him. With with the people of Embassy, mm. so Yablans sues Embassy and Carpenter because he says we had an agreement that you're going to do the fog here. So the way they settle it is Yablans is like, okay, you can do the fog over there, but you have to do Halloween too for me. Oh, that's sly bastard. So then Carpenter says, okay, he comes and he does Halloween too. He writes it with Deborah Hill. He writes it. Produces it, and they're a team because they they work together for Halloween. They do uh, Escape from New York. Did she do his TV movies with them too? She might have. I think she was like There's script the... girl or something on uh, Assault of Precinct Thirteen, and then they were also romantically involved. Oh, I didn't know that. Which gets weird because then she does The Fog and Escape from New York and Halloween Two, and he's married to Adrian Barbeau during all that yeah. time. And is what's the um. Somebody, somebody to watch over me. Yeah, and she, that's also a, a little-known TV Carpenter movie. That's kind of like a, uh, not a remake, but like a, yeah, a version yeah. of like a Rear Window. Yeah, yeah, like a little. Which is that? It, that's Adrian Barbo in it too, isn't it? She she's in it. I don't think she's oh, okay. the star. And that came out right around, right, right after the first. I think Halloween. that's where he meets her. Yeah, and then they develop a relationship. But so, like before that, by the, around Halloween, he and Deborah Hill are kind of an item. Chain smoking together. <laughs> yeah. As Carpenter does. And uh, so they do The Fog. I believe they do Escape from New York. Then Halloween 2 comes. Now, the idea was Carpenter's like, okay, I'll do it, but I don't want to direct it. So they offer it to Tommy Lee Wallace, yeah, who is the co-editor of the first Halloween, 
um, was the production designer, the guy picking up the leaves in the first Halloween. Of a bitch. They went to college together. It's the Coop, the, their band, the Coupe de Vils, is Nick Castle, Tommy Lee Wallace, and John Carpenter. And Nick Castle was the shape who was in the original Nick Halloween. Nick Castle plays the guy under the mask. And he also shape. says, I'm not coming back either. Yeah, yeah. so uh, Carpenter offers it to him. Tommy Lee Wallace is like, awesome. Like I get to direct fucking Halloween too, and then he reads the script and really doesn't like the script. Well, the, now the one of the first versions of the script they say it was supposed to take place like in a skyscraper. It's going to be like a like a completely different. And then I guess when they start doing script rehearsals yeah, yeah. or readings, they're like, "No, nah, we'll change it to a hospital. We'll completely change the fucking thing." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's interesting if they'd already done someone to watch over me, which takes place in a in a city skyscraper. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like the, it's almost like Poltergeist three. You know, and they're yeah, like, no, yeah. "No, no, no," you know. So that would really odd to see the. It's like the lost Halloween film, you know. See yeah. Michael walking around like bing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, listening to like you know bossa nova songs in the elevator, like you know, and then so then he says no, he doesn't. He like says the no, he doesn't like the script. He ends up then doing Halloween three, but yeah. uh, he doesn't want to do it. Um, so Carpenter, through his agent, finds this guy named uh, Rick Rosenthal. Now Rick Rosenthal was a guy who was went to school for business. And then, like, on a trip to Italy, he's traveling to Italy, like, in his young years. And while he's in Italy, he watch, he's, he stops and he's watching these shipbuilders build a ship. And he has, like, this revelation of, like, this is what I need to do with my life. I need to work with but metal ships. <laughs> I need to be a metal worker. I need to be an the, artist. The metallurgy, the metallurgy So then arts. he comes back and he goes to... Uh, one of the big ones, Yale or Harvard. I think it's Harvard. He goes to Harvard and to be a sculptor. Completely different from business. Yeah, yeah. He's like a business, like a government major. And then he goes to Italy and has like this religious experience where he decides he needs to be an artist and he wants to work there. So and then he goes to Harvard. And then he's in Harvard and he ends up being the first student to ever do their thesis on video to do like a film as their thesis, not like a paper or mm. anything. So then he's like, I made a movie, you know, like I did that. I must be a movie maker. So then he decides he wants to make movies. Wow. He works. This is the time when you could do this. You can yeah, say, I'm yeah. going to be a movie maker. And it's like the John Carpenter's like, you're a sign. <laughs> so he goes out and he, uh, he first, I think, I believe he first starts making documentaries for like New Hampshire PBS. And then he goes to like, uh, the, uh, AFI or something, one of those like film institutes, yeah, and it goes into their program, makes a couple of short films, and one of which oh Carpenter saw and he was really impressed. By well, it. yeah, one of which is, uh, you know, was like a killer slasher type, you know, thriller. Carpenter's agent ends up seeing it and signs him as a as a client, and he signs. Rick Rosenthal with like the impression of like giving him the impression that, you know, like I also represent John Carpenter and, you know, we get all these offers and John Carpenter can't do all the, every movie he's offered. And I can always say like, well, he, John can't do it, but I have this talented younger guy here. So yeah, those he, were the days. Huh? <laughs> so he takes the, he agrees to be uh, represented by this guy with that being kind of the thought process. So then almost instantly, like Halloween 2 comes along. Carpenter doesn't want to direct it. Carpenter sees the guy's short film. He likes it. Now, do you think that's a, you know how like a lot of, um, back in the in the day, I mean, I guess it still happens now, a lot of the, the directors who are on a high horse at the time of popularity and, and critical success, like 
William Freakin or whatever, are they being like pompous where he's like, I don't want to direct it because I've been there, done that? Or is it like you, maybe Carpenter actually had too much stuff on the table? I mean, he, he's getting ready to do the thing. He just well, yeah. Well, that's the thing is he's well, the thing <laughs> yeah. uh, is he actually doesn't. It's funny because he doesn't have like a whole lot of involvement in Halloween too, in the, until he needs to. In the post, because he's in the middle of pre-production for the thing, his first big studio movie. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a, so there is a legitimate reason where he's just saying like that you know. and Carpenter more so than I think a lot of filmmakers of his generation, or at least in the horror sense. Carpenter's career is very calculated. Yeah. Um, he would probably try to convince you otherwise and he often plays off shit like i like we said earlier like it was a job i got hired to do it you know i wasn't thinking i was making halloween i was just trying to do a movie it wasn't my movie it was their movie and, but like very early on he starts putting his name above the title yeah, you, you you've made the distinction to me before where you'll say you know he'll he'll claim like you know it's it's a film is, is a everyone's film, involved he, but then at the, but then yeah, at the end he of doesn't the day, like he doesn't like a film by the credit of film by yeah because he doesn't, he feels like film is a collaborative effort. But he'll slap his fucking name on but the front. But <laughs> everything's John Carpenter's. Yeah, he's a little thing, bit of like Halloween, an enigma like that, that way. Like Disney's, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. right away, he's like Howard Hawks, Alfred Hitchcock, John Ford, the directors I love. You fucking knew it was them. Yeah. It was like Hitchcock psycho. So he decides that he's going to, early on in his career, he's going to do that. He's also going to shoot fucking wide. Yeah. You know, two, the three, two, three, five to one aspect ratio as wide as you can get at that time beautiful it's like a thumbnail when you're watching it on tv (laughs) he he makes all these very important decisions he does the music he'll tell you it's because he was the cheapest and fastest guy to do it there was no budget but even when the budget budgets start coming he still ends up doing it because it's, it's his movie it's his. It's just another way for him to put a stamp on it. He's very calculated that way. So I can believe that it's. He does seem like he has like an answer for everything because in two thousand two, you and I saw like a little colloquium they did with him. He was there and he did like an interview. Uh, they showed his movie, The Thing. We saw the thing, yeah. And then before it, he did like a like maybe a twenty half hour Q and A. And I remember him specifically because I'm a Clint Eastwood fan. He was talking about they offered him Fatal Attraction in the 80s he's like why would I want to do that when Eastwood already did it first call play Misty for me yeah, yeah. so it's like he does kind of and then, then then in the same sentence he said they offered him Top Gun he's like well I don't want to do Top Gun <laughs> you know can you imagine John Carpenter's Top Gun how weird that would have been you know? yeah yeah so I, I think part of it's Carpenter's busy I think part of it's like it's not a great dis- career decision for me to direct another one go back again and yeah because you're and treading the same girl yeah I, so I think it's a little bit of both but so, he agrees to, to, to be Connected to it, it's like you he know. agrees, and it's up to debate. It, he, he could have been forced to agree to it because of the because of a lawsuit. There's no real clear distinction. It's all speculation, but there's a very good chance he's kind of legally obligated to to, to do it. Um, now he makes this movie with Rick Rosenthal, first time feature. Yeah. Director, he goes on to do the Bad Boys, the Sean Penn I movie, know, which movie, I love. A movie, a movie I know you're a big fan. And of. Uh, then, do you remember in 1989 that for a second there was a show called Nasty Boys, the SWAT I team show? I love Nasty. You remember Boys. that with the Paul? Dillon? I had a pair of sunglasses. Ooh, you with, Nasty Boys. with the flip top sunglasses. Yeah, I was, had one of those because, because I love that. Well, show. evidently he did the film version of that, and I didn't know there was even a film version of Nasty Boys. So I don't know what begot what first. <laughs> if there was the Nasty Boys movie that no one saw that they made a series that was really good for like a hot second, or vice yeah, versa. Yeah. So he did the movie version of that. There's a guy in a commercial right now that I'm not positive, but I f- am 
when I see the commercial, I'm close to positive that the black guy in the commercial is the black guy from Nasty Boys. Nasty Boys was a was a <laughs> late '80s show that was seemed like it was only on for a season, but it was hugely popular when it was on. I don't know why it got canceled. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was like a it was like a SWAT team show. Yeah, it was, it was, just, about, it was about like a SWAT team. It was kind of like an A team. Yeah, it was like an A team meets Miami Vice, where every you know there's like say you know a handful of guys on the SWAT team, and they all have their own crazy unique personalities, and everyone probably has mullets and yeah, high lows. Yeah. Definitely you know, the guy that wore the flip top sunglasses. He very like, Johnny Depp, Twenty One Jump Street. Meets yeah, but he had like. Like, yeah, and he, he definitely. You know, it was like the like culmination of '80s TV cop shows. You yeah, know, yeah. You, you take Twenty One Jump Street, you throw in a little Miami Vice, you throw a little <laughs> freaking like uh, Magnum PI in there, you throw a little A Team, you shake it about, maybe throw a sprinkle of Knight Rider. <laughs> I don't know what else is in there. Maybe like a little Hunter. <laughs> throw that in there. Yeah, and you add a Janet Jackson. Yeah, add a, is it Janet Jackson or Paul Abdul? Maybe I'm wrong. I think it's Janet Jackson. I oh, think you nasty Jan- boys. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's Janet Jackson. But that was the opening. So everyone knew that song too. Yeah. So it's like, this is great. And then it came and went. So he did that as well. But I love Bad Boys. And then he ends up returning for the Halloween, the last one in the. The last one with. Yeah, I guess it's the last one before Rob Zombie. Yeah. Uh, Resurrection. 2002. Maybe Resurrection. Last one, then Jamie Lee Curtis. The eighth one. That's kind of a favor. Kind of. Shows up in the in the beginning of that movie. Because prior to that is H two O, and I saw that in the theater. Did I see that in the theater with you? I don't know. Okay, because she's in all over that one with Josh Harnett. The H2O. Yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah. was the big thing. Yeah. That was my idea. Goddamn bastard! Yeah, they stole it from us. <laughs> They're always stealing ideas from us. But we're going. We're digressing. Um. So Rick, yeah, Rick Rosenthal. So Rick Rosenthal makes this a movie with John Carpenter. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill write the script. John Carpenter produces it. John Carpenter is credited with doing the music, but. For the most part, as I understand it, basically what happens is John Carpenter's too busy doing the thing to actually do the music. So what happens is they give John Carpenter's original tapes from Halloween. John Carpenter might dispute this, but every other account kind of like falls into this. They basically give John uh, Alan Howarth, who did the music of Escape from New York with Carpenter and then goes on to work with Carpenter in several, several films throughout the 80s, give him the original tapes for the score for Halloween that he kind of loads them in. There was 16 tracks. He loads it in, makes, you know, into a 24 track. So he has more tracks to work with. Then he kind of like doubles Carpenter's piano with synthesizer. And he starts to add in other textures, throws on like a electronic drum beat. Yeah. And he kind of reworks Carpenter's score for Halloween too, and adds little bits because of some of the beats are different, you know, not, not literally like the drum beat, but like the beats of the, the, of the script yeah, yeah. and stuff. Um, so in essence, Carpenter did do it because he's working from Carpenter's original tapes. So Carpenter's still on it. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, it was uh, Alan Howarth under the direction of Deborah Hill and Rick Rosenthal doing the score. No, Carpenter doesn't seem to li- even like the script. He's has he, has he kind of he goes to, uh, on to bad mouth and saying, you know, I was drinking a six pack of Budweiser a day then, and that's you know that and chain smoking that that, <laughs> that that attributes to whatever like you know he doesn't like about it or yeah, and you know it's a shame that it gets kind of uh, thrown away uh, in that sense. Um, now apparently, John Carpenter says to Rick Rosenthal, he's like, look, I'm a filmmaker. I'm producing this movie. I know what it's like to have producer interference. I don't want to be that guy. I'm going to give you one direction. Make it scary. That's it. Then he just... Other than that, like, 
you know, you be be your, be a director, be the filmmaker. I'll stay out of your hair. So Carpenter's off doing the thing, and he starts to get reports back. I think from like Yablans and stuff that like, I don't know, this movie's not. And Yablans is he even goes as like I'm not. I don't. He's like I didn't like the gory stuff. Now what happens is Carpenter starts seeing the rushes and seeing the cuts of the movie. Now who shot the movie? It's the same Dean Cundy. Yeah, Dean Cundy. So he's so. To emulate the almost the look and feel of the first one, because it takes place the same night because it takes place the minute the first one ends, it kind of has to feel like the first one. Yeah, of course. You know, the idea was to make it feel like it's one movie, yeah, two parts of one movie. And, and you know what? I, I love that. I mean, you know, like we we said at the beginning of this, whatever Hammer film, that Bride of the Dracula, or whatever, and then the Bride of Frankenstein one. That's amazing to just have yeah. it take place it's like back to the future you know you have or the evil place. dead movies yeah exactly know? although the evil deads are weird they'll always sum it up with a different female in every beginning <laughs> know, of it. if you cut that out yeah it's <laughs> there you go you just, that's your ultimate cut right there um so it's so cool you start it right in the climax of the first movie this, this yeah, is what's yeah. happening you know michael and, myers uh spoil or if you haven't seen the first halloween first of all if you haven't seen the first halloween you don't even know who the hell we're talking about here <laughs> shame on you yeah shame on you we're gonna shame you into a corner um and we're not talking about the, the, the Rob Zombie Halloween either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen John Carpenter's Halloween, yeah. like, what the hell are you waiting for? That, that's movie magic right there. And, um, yeah, so the end of the movie. Uh, Picks up, yeah, uh, what's his face? Tunnel Pleasance unloads a freaking revolver in him. He falls. He gets stuck <laughs> he in the eye with, the a, with a freaking uh, you know, hanger. He's, he's the Terminator. Uh, he, he gets shot. Loomis is the, running around screaming, He's hurt! <laughs> You know. <laughs> he falls off the thing. Jamie Lee Curtis is like a balcony under you know, the thing. Like he, he was the boogeyman. Yeah, you know, and he's like, yes, he was. And, and then at the end of the first Halloween, so he goes, goes out and looks, looks, and uh, to, to the to the to the first floor to the grass. To you the can grass. see his outline, but he's gone. He's not there anymore. And then the music hits. Then we have this beautiful montage of like all the places where the shape was. Yeah, it's like the stairwell, the living room, and it's like it's like he could be anywhere. It's he's a fucking shape. With the music, so then the the second one starts. He uh, with the same, <laughs> yeah, he, he loads the fucking gun. He falls off, and then Loomis like runs down the stairs, opens the door. He's gone. Oh, I fucking got. <laughs> now the beautiful thing about Loomis in this movie, Donald Pleasance, Donald Pl- played by the great Donald Pleasance. Who it wasn't supposed to be, right? Originally, who were they? originally he wanted Christopher Lee. Yeah, Christopher Lee turned it down. He did, or he wasn't like contractually obligated to do something else. He turned it down. Um, I think he's even said that that was like, that's a big mistake. He, he wished he, he did that movie. And that would have been weird, too, because, you know, you think of Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee's like a tall guy. Yeah, yeah. So you think of, like, him playing opposite, you know, Nick Castle in that movie, how tall Nick Castle is. So they would have had to have done something. You can't have, <laughs> there's you know, Dr. Many, Loomis towering over. But there aren't too many times so, yeah, where they're in the together. same scene together. Yeah, because there's a, there's a great movie called Raw Meat, which is a fan favorite of mine, um, that takes place in England, which is basically the English version of Chud before we made Chud over here. And there's a scene where they're together. Like, uh, Christopher Lee has a cameo in that movie. Oh, yeah, we're all meet. Yeah, and Donald Pleasance plays a... He's a detective or a cop in that movie. And, uh, you know, you see them together, and it's like freaking... It's like Mutt yeah, and Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> you know how Pleasance is great in this movie. Oh, he's... He, I think he's great in everything, you know? He, like, you can't picture this as anybody else. And he really. just... Uh, when we come into... We're talking about now Halloween 2, he just come off a... Of, being the president, escape from New York. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he he's did, done a. How many movies have you done with Carpenter? Well, he did these Prince of Darkness three, and then he did Prince of Darkness. I don't, I'm trying to think if there's any other ones. I mean, he's in he's in all the other Halloweens, but that's not Carpenter related, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's know? not in the third one. But, no, yeah, you exactly. know, all the Michael Myers ones. Yeah. 
Um, Pleasant's awesome, interesting guy. Shot down over Germany in World War II in, in a POW camp. So he comes out of fucking POW camp, and he's an actor. He wants to be an actor as an actor. And after that experience, he's like, "Fuck it, I'm. I want to work." Yeah. So he just fucking does every yeah. <laughs> thing he's offered. But he's a great movie. Well, people used to do that back in the day. You know, some people like I we brought up Ernest Borgnine last time in the Black Hole cast, and he used to say the same thing. He'd say, "You know what? It's like people sometimes will uh, be snooty about the roles they take, but like someone like Borgnine or like Pleasance, they'd say, you know, they have a fear of." They start turning stuff down, then stuff isn't going to come. So yeah, yeah. no matter what it is, and it, I think it sometimes heightens the property to have someone like he's that even in it. In a cul-de-sac with Polans by Polanski, yeah, he's he, in The Great Escape. He's in. He play. Yeah, he plays the POW in The Great Escape when it's you know, when he's freaking with Jim Rockford. They're flying over the. You know, <laughs> it's so great funny. actor. Yeah, yeah, awesome, amazing. Un- I would say kind of unorthodox choice. By yeah. 1978. Yeah, and he's and he, he plays. See, I don't even realize, but he's an Englishman. He plays an American. Doesn't he have an American accent in this? Because he's just yelling half the movie, so it doesn't even. <laughs> it doesn't even really. It's fun, really. You, you, like, you I know where really, am I? <laughs> you don't know where he's from. Yeah. Um, so he does Halloween. He does Halloween because basically his daughter sees Assault from Precinct 13 and likes it. And when John Carpenter comes along and they offer him the part, she's like, "Oh, you gotta do it." This guy's a this guy's a great filmmaker. It's so, all right, dearie, all right. So he does it, and um, the thing I love about his performance in two is that, like, at this point, like, the shit has hit the fan, and like, he plays up like that guilt. He's got it, yeah. And everybody's blaming him. That's the other thing. It's like everyone's by this point, like, uh, you the know, sheriff and all that the role. sheriff's daughter, played by Nancy Loomis, has died. And he's like, you, you shut up, save. <laughs> he's like, I tried to tell them. <laughs> it's, you know, you, you must think it's a very emotionally draining because he's starting, he doesn't even have an arc. You know, at least in the first one, he's able to have a crescendo yeah, yeah. And, and to the climax. This one, he's starting at the climax. He's, he's starting just, and everybody's like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. You should, because at the first, the first one, he's like, everybody's like, all right, he's out. And he's like, no. You know, like you don't know this time. <laughs> you know, like Hal has come to your little town. You know, and he's he's the he's the he's the uh, he's the Colonel Troutman. Yeah, he's trying to tell him. He's like, <laughs> oh, you need Michael. more body bags. <laughs> God, you go after Michael. Yeah. You need more body. Bags. Oh. You're gonna need one thing: a good supply of body bags. Because <laughs> God has mercy. <laughs> We got to work on our Donald Pleasance. Yeah, I know. I sound like Werner Herzog more than I do Donald Pleasance. And he gives a great speech about. Yeah, the dollar. The- <laughs> he tells Robert Shaw's black as a dollar's eyes. The blackest eyes. The I saw him look at the wall, past the wall, down the street, takes a left on him, <laughs> past the Kmart, to this night. Um, and it, it sort of gets into the question of who. What the fuck is going on with Michael Myers? You know, because well, that's the thing. Okay, you know, because like we have, we kind of get off on a tangent, and we'll get back to Rick. for you listening out there. You're like, what? What about the Rick Rosenthal, John Carpenter make it scary? Boom. We'll get back to it. Don't worry. Hold on, because you got you like so you take out Jason Voorhees. We have Jason Voorhees' backstory, and then there's so many damn sequels. By the time yeah. you get like. By part four, he's dead. So the backstory of Michael Myers kind of gets revealed and in by this movie. And I will be completely honest, as much as I love this movie, the reason why I wanted to do this movie is because I believe I'm probably in the minority, although I think some people would agree. Like, to me, I love this movie. Mm. 
as much as I love the first one. Like, to me, it's... This is like one movie for you. Yeah. It's like Star Trek 2, 3, 4, <laughs> one movie it's for, for a lot of to people. To me, it's like... I wouldn't even say... You know, there, there is that, obviously, because that's, like, the obvious thing, but it's more like, I just think this movie's great. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I'm... You know, to me, it's... I, I enjoy it every bit as much as I enjoy the first one. Um, but, with that said... The one thing I do not like about this movie is the explanation. Oh, the Celtic kind of um, the Samhain. Yeah, um, they got to give it some. Re- so that and that he's that he's her brother. Yeah, that's revealed. Spoiler in, in, in the yeah, um, yeah in the flashbacks <laughs> while she's sedated and stuff. Um, it's revealed that Michael Myers is his bro- is her brother. I I never liked that thing to me it's always been more scary that he's less like he's fucking you don't evil. know why. he's evil in the first one like he's not there to get her and she just gets in the way he's she just happens to be the well, one he's coming home right he's like hey, he's going home he's going to like to the house he's going you know the night he came home yeah goes to the house he takes judith myers's tombstone brings it up kills uh Lindsay, what? <laughs> no, yeah, Lindsay's yeah. the little girl. I can't remember the, oh, the PJ Souls and and Nancy Loomis's characters, and um, he's just like on a killing rampage kind of. He just was going a very on the couch. slow paced killing rampage. Yeah, yeah. But it's not like he's there to find his sister, you know, in the first one. And to me, that's what's scary about it. It's like when there's no reason for evil, like Texas. Yeah, Chainsaw Mask. They don't tell you why. Texas is like. There's no like these. It's just a crazy family. If you want to, if you want to apply any kind of uh, reason, it's like human flesh tastes better. <laughs> yeah, meat, meat man's got to eat. <laughs> <laughs> or like you know, you can also look at it very much in like uh, economics. You know, like industrial things letting off people. Oh, you know, like the pollution's like, fucking with their brain or whatever. Pollution, or but it's also like they've been laid off from the slaughterhouse. Like, they're going crazy. They're inbred. Whatever, they're inbred. But, but then none yeah. of that's really implied. It's just yeah, yeah. you have to just take You have to really, like, if you want to imply, want to apply reason for it, you can find it, but it's not there. So you always have taken from the school of thought that, like, say, uh, Norman Bates, his mother made him do this. His mother made him crazy. You, you, you've always said you kind of like when it's not explained. So just to, 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 for think, this movie where it's the justification there, this like, infor- ah. I think what's scary about the first one for me and what's scary about uh, Michael Myers in the first one is that it's he's evil he's pure evil yeah. according to Donald Pleasance and you know that's just what it is and he t- and he, you can unload like you know full clip into him and he's still he's still walking around yeah you know and what's it in, in H2O he, he knows how to drive stick shift <laughs> he drives like from, from like Hattonfield to like California he's paying tolls you know that like old... in the I guess on the fourth one Beginning of the fourth one. Yeah, he steals, like, a, he steals a car too, he right? Ste- well, he steals a car in the first one too, but um, it's just the, the reasoning. P- applying, I understand why they do it, uh, but it's been it's been a, a story point that I've never really cared for. Um, I didn't like that he's there. I mean, I guess they have to give reason to why he will continue to pursue Jamie Lee Curtis. Maybe the reason could have just been like unfinished business. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know what knew. I mean. He, like he this... didn't get her. It's kind of like yeah, he wants to feel vindicated. <laughs> um, so that aspect of it is is something that I particularly have never cared for. Um, but uh, what are we talk about other than that? R- uh, Rick Rosenthal? Rick Rosenthal. We talked about uh, 
Yeah, and I love Donald Pleasance. Yeah, um, like I said, everybody's blaming for him. He's not like he doesn't have the guilt on his own shoulders. Now he's like, I tried to, <laughs> and, and everyone's going crazy. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, they kill that other guy, that poor that poor trick or treater that has. Yeah, a we'll get we'll get to <laughs> we'll get to that guy. So uh, it, there's so many avenues to go down. So back to um, we're going to the, go back to the Rick Rosenthal story. So Carpenter says, "Look, just make it scary. I don't want to. I don't want to be an asshole producer telling you how, how you to do your thing. All I'm saying is make it scary." So apparently, Rick Rosenthal, an artist, as we established, thinks of himself as an artist. One of the, builder. One of the things that I love about this movie is uh, going back to. Our discussion about mad love rick rosenthal takes this uh, approach to it that yes definitely in the beginning of the movie it's gonna feel seamless he wants it to feel seamless stylistically to halloween but then as the movie progresses uh in my mind it gets very more down the avenue of like nightmarish mm. in terms of style and the the aspect of like uh a hospital, Lori Strode gets taken to a hospital uh, at the beginning of the movie because she's been attacked by, you know, Michael Myers. Um, and, you know, you could say, like, I've always thought it was weird that the hospital's, like, so empty. But at this point, it's, like, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning yeah, or something night shift, like that. Yeah. But uh, so Rick Rosenthal, an artist, tries to apply a German expressionist mm. style to the movie, um, which starts to become really... Uh, visible in the hospital. Um, you know, long hallways, shafts of light, it's very dark, it's very shadowy. What she ends up in the, in towards the climax of the movie when she's running away from Michael Myers, she runs down like in the basement and then you start to see like these crazy colors and it yeah. becomes very Suspiria-like yeah. in and some she's ways. She's getting out the window and he's, uh, he's like, like reds and greens and it's it's very rich like visually, stylistically. It's one of the things like I love about this movie. But because Rosenthal is an artist um, and this is his first feature, he's not necessarily thinking uh commercially so Carpenter starts seeing the rushes and cuts of the movie and stuff and Carpenter's like this is just not scary yeah because he's also looking at it at the time uh, we have a whole crap load of uh, you know Friday 13th part 2 is coming out yes exactly like you know, you here's have... the difference the reason why there's so much more gore and some you know the howling we, we have a syringe to the eye into the eyeball we have uh, you know some stabbings with scalpels a lot of more like, a ton more blood claw. we got a claw part of the hammer to the head because basically and Bland says he didn't like that aspect of it to him like it was always better than the imagination but Carpenter's saying Carpenter, like, again, very calculated. Yeah. He's like, after we see Friday the 13th and Maniac and things like The Prowler or whatever is coming out, like, everybody's upped it. So you have like, to adapt. I, we have to compete yeah. with it. Do you think you agree with that? Do you think if they kept it as a just, like, you know, a stylistic kind of, like, Halloween, you think it could have been? I think maybe in the long run... It would be appreciated for that, but I think at the time, it's what it needed to be to be successful. The, the, the gore, yeah, the hype. I agree with him. Like, how can you, how can you 
how could your answer to like Kevin Bacon being stabbed in the throat with like an arrow <laughs> or whatever upside down as well, right? you know, or like Tom Savini having his head blown apart and maniac? How can you respond to that with like another bloodless movie? Yeah. So I totally I agree. You know, I think that it's a smart choice. I think it might have been the right choice. So Carpenter comes in kind of takes it out of Rosenthal's hands a little bit. Shoots more stuff. I think some alternate death scenes maybe helps the body count by killing characters that weren't going to so be So by killed. this time they'd already finished production, right? They're in post Or now? most of it, yeah. Or do you think he came in, took over the director Carpenter and says, shot what was left? Carpenter says, makes a very clear distinction in his own mind. He says, I did not interfere with the directing of the movie. I interfered with post-production. Mm. And Carpenter also at the same time uses the, coincidentally, we, we like to talk about alternate versions and TV versions of movies. He uses the Halloween 2 crew to shoot extra scenes for the TV version of Halloween. Or sometimes called the producer's cut. <laughs> There's the, that's another thing. This movie is notorious to having a whole different cut, a television cut. There's a television cut, yeah. But also, the television cut you see of Halloween where there's added scenes of, like, Laurie on the phone and uh, Donald Pleasant's making his case to the board. Oh, yeah. Of the, from the, this is all in the first movie. These, yep. are, these are scenes from the first movie that Carpenter shoots because Hall- the movie Halloween was not going to... was not long enough for f- to air on television at the time. So he has to go and he kind of pads the movie with a couple of extra scenes. He uses Dean Cundy and the crew to do that. So Carpenter also takes the crew, goes out, reshoots some stuff, shoots some new stuff for Halloween 2, messes around with it in editing, and that's pretty much the cut that we End up seeing. are familiar with. And when, in writing the script, they did a novelization for the first movie. Um, novelization was done by um, a gentleman, uh, Curtis Richards, and it was published in 79. And when they're... When I guess Carpenter's writing this, too, he takes a lot of the elements from the novelization. He takes lines out and specific things from the novelization and adds kind of into this movie. And then, uh, you know, of course, we have a novelization of this one come out as well, and they yeah. actually use, like, pictures from the movie, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, you yeah. know like, with captioned black-and-white photos and all that. Um, so he, he kind of ups the gore and everything, and he, uh, you know, he, he puts out... It, I think he probably, you know, in Rosenthal's mind, it was, like, a very carefully paced... You know, everything was strategically done to set a certain kind of mood and certain pace. And Carpenter comes in and in in Rosenthal's mind kind of messes all that up. But I think Carpenter's idea was like, let's keep it moving. We have to understand, you know, Carpenter shoots... Michael Myers like wandering around, yeah, I feel and then it, the kid come walks by with the the, boombox with the boombox, so that Michael Myers knows why. Like where Laurie Strode is, I find that great that at the beginning he just—it's almost like Jason takes Manhattan, where Jason's walking around and, and Manhattan, no one you know blinks an eye. Well, it's also Halloween. Yeah, he's walking around. That's what I'm saying. He's walking around Halloween. No one, no one notices. I mean, you know, you know, whatever. You know, he, he steals the butcher knife from the uh, the people. That's all that <laughs> stuff is very scary and calculating. Yeah, yeah. Where you see him in the background, or when he first gets to the hospital, that's great background action where you see like the people interacting, and you know, he just like walks right by, and no one's even noticing. He's, yeah, he's like a ninja. It's, it's, I, you know, I love this movie. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's by no means flawless, but I love the way it looks. I love the hospital stuff so much. Like, for me, it's, it's a very, taps into a very, uh, 
subconscious dream like like that nightmare of like these being in a place that is so full of I was going to say life, but I don't know if that's the right word for a hospital. But yeah. so full of, you know, like you would equate as being safe or kind of safe, definitely safe. You'd like you're comforting. You're in your most vulnerable state when you're in a hospital. But because of there's like it's always staffed and um, you do it, it, it. It's an you know, it feels like it's supposed to be safe and you're supposed to be comfortable there. And it's a place where there's supposed to be people and it to to have that place be so abandoned <laughs> it's very scary to me it's a very it's like a nightmare you know like you can imagine like that being something you would dream that like you're in this place that should be comfortable not comfortable but should be safe to you and you're running around and nobody's there to help you and i, I read somewhere that like the the, the statistic is like Curtis is only like in like twenty five minutes of the movie or like a half hour of the movie. Yeah, they well, she also up. wears, you know, she wears a wig that's not entirely successful. Yeah, because she'd cut her hair shorter at this point, so yeah, she had yeah. to wear she had to wear a wig to look like what she looked like before. And at this time, she was being called the scream queen because she's in um you know the first Halloween seventy eight. She's in prom night nineteen eighty. She's in the fog. Where we said she's in a movie called Road Games. She's in a a, a personal favorite of mine, Terror Train from yeah. eighty, and this one in eighty one. So she's almost, I guess. What is, does Adrian Barbeau take that that like uh, into the '80s with Swamp Thing and the Fog? And because I know she's kind of billed as a scream queen as well, Adrian. Yeah, Barbeau. you know that's debatable. Creep show, you um, know. You know, is it very different? Adrian Barbeau's characters in those movies are very different. Yeah, kind of scream queen than Jamie Lee Curtis was. I mean, there's not so much a slasher type of scream queen that we think, but you know, you get. Uh, you know, scream, the Scream Queen thing. I mean, it does kind of start with her. I mean, yes, you can say Barbara from Night of the Living Dead. You can even say Jenna Lee. I mean, yeah. You could say uh, Psycho. Uh, Marion Burns or Sally. Oh, <laughs> from yeah, from, Tech, uh, from Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Uh, you could say Olivia Hussey from Black Christmas. But, I mean, that, I think that idea starts kind of with Jamie Lee Curtis, maybe, because she's did so many. Yeah. In, the, in that time, so she became associated with that, and she's proud of it. You know, she's like, and those, he's like, she's like, all the main, quote unquote, more like mainstream movies that I made. It's like I played like sex objects. He's like, in those movies, I was like a strong female character. It's true, yeah, know? yeah. And speaking of sex, we get some nudity courtesy of Carpenter's movie with the with the uh, the jacuzzi scene. We got the jacuzzi scene. Yeah, um, which Very funny nice. enough, there's a there's a story about the jacuzzi scene that. Uh, Involves you. Oh, this, 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 this. <laughs> uh, what about my boner, baby? Which I never even, I never understood that. Yeah, you, you I, I, I hadn't seen this movie as many times as you had in college, and you and a friend of ours used to say, it, "Like, what about my boner, baby?" <laughs> so I don't know. There's, gonna... I, I actually thought that was a line from the movie the, because there's a story that, as it goes, for some reason, I don't ever remember where the line came from. But me and this other kid who uh, I was friends with when Dean and I started college. We came up with this. Like we came up with this thing. It was like, well, what about my boner, baby? She gets up, she leaves or something. And we would say this line, and we said it, and and you, th- and instantly you were like, because we were saying it like as an impression. But what about my boner, baby? Yeah, I thought it was him. You were, you were like, what's that from? And you're like, Halloween. And do? they're like, what do you mean? And you're like, that's from something. What's that from? And I think I was like, we were like, Halloween two. 
Yeah, because you, you were alluding because you, you, you were alluding to the scene with her and the yeah, jacuzzi. and you're like, oh yeah, the one with the jacuzzi, okay. And yeah. then for like years, you thought I thought that was a line, the a line. spoken line in it. <laughs> what about my boner, baby? Was in Halloween too? And should have been in Halloween. It should have been in Halloween too. With, yeah, with that kind of thing. And that that thing, she's the, the actress says it was cold. She got an ear infection from doing that scene. Yeah, we get Freezing. some we get some boobs in that yeah. scene. Um, and we have, in addition to uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, we have another uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleeper alum. We got the great Lance Guest. I know Lance Guest, who we talked about, went on with um, just a few, just a short while ago. Nick Castle doing uh, Last Starfighter. Last Starfighter. And this, was, this is his first movie, isn't it? This is his first feature. Yeah, he plays one of the ambulance drivers, Jimmy. And then there's some sort of speculation, like you're saying, people on like websites who, on their free time, just come up with conjecture that maybe. The two of them are romantically involved, and they and, and and he's the father. Then I guess to maybe was it would it be oh, Josh, Josh Harnett? Harnett maybe, right? yeah. In, 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 I H, mean, it's H2O. definitely he's definitely like kind of the romantic interest, and he survives, right? He, you well, know. he doesn't in the television cut. He survives. Yeah, in the in the theatrical cut, you don't know. He's like passes out in the car, and that's the last time you see him. Yeah, he, he hit um, his head. He slipped, slipped on some blood. He did his own stunt, hit his head, and then it's like he but wakes in, up. But in the television version of the movie, now had, what are the differences? Can you are you able to? Since you've probably seen them all, you uh, know, we, we, I, I hear we have some. Uh, we have various less gory alterations. They of have deaths. to take out a lot of the gore. So, like any television version, kind of you have to take out a lot of the blood and a lot of the gore. You obviously have to take out the boobs. Shame, and you have to replace that. With, like, like longer scenes, maybe heads or tails of scenes. Yeah, like there's some longer scenes. I think it's probably more uh, thought of as being probably closer to Rosenthal's script. You do have a scene where there's more stuff between Lance Guest and Jamie Lee Curtis. You have a scene where the power goes out in the hospital. Yeah, and the generator, emergency generator, kicks in. That's why the last half of the movie, the car. The hospital is, you know, dark as shit. Yeah. You know, here it gives you reason. (laughs) You know, Michael Myers shows up at the hospital, and then there's a scene between him and Laurie Strode. Lance Guest is like, Laurie, they got him. They killed him. You know, like I just heard it from a reporter that uh, they hit him with a car, which we'll get to that story. Son of a bitch. (laughs) And Laurie's like, no, no, he's not dead. He's, He's not dead. And she starts freaking out. They're like, Doctor, doctor, they need to sedate her some more. And as they're sedating her, the lights go out. Yeah. And then, like, the emergency generator comes on. That's why it's so dark in the hospital. So it seems like there's a lot of stuff that um, Rosenthal was not necessarily filming that Carpenter's, like, went back to, like, maybe, you know, film. I don't know. Who well, I think that's probably in the Rosenthal cut. Oh, Carpenter okay. probably cut it out for pace. Because there's other stuff that, like, you know, like, the, like, like you should, having the boombox boy walk by to just necessitate him hearing why he needs yeah. to go to the hospital as opposed to him just, you know, because um, Mike uh, Myers is a very smart guy. We other like. things, like, I think a guard who gets his throat slit in the theatrical version gets, like, stabbed from behind. Yeah. Which was probably the way Rosenthal originally did it, and then Carpenter's like, "Let's fucking see that." <laughs> yeah, let's see <laughs> that a little more of that. And then the uh, the biggest ending, the bi- the biggest uh, alternate thing is the ending, where it ends kind of the same. Laurie Strode gets loaded into the ambulance. The ambulance leaves. Laurie Strode's look, kind of looking out the back window, and then there's a body like on the gurney here that's in the in the thing and it sits up with the with a sheet on it and you're like oh shit fucking she put they put her in the 
in the in the same ambulance as the charred Michael Myers, and he's still alive. And then like the sheet gets pulled off, and it's Lance Guest, and he's got like a bandage on his head, and they kind of like look at each other. It's okay. Yeah. It'd be really cool if they had like Dan Aykroyd turn around as the ambulance driver, like, "You want to see something really scary?" <laughs> <laughs> no, Jesus. So those are the, those are the big. Uh, the big notable differences between the what's the, the theatrical and the television. What's version. the relationship? Did they did they kind of ruin whatever friendship they had, Rosenthal and Carpenter? Are they now you know I guess past it? And does Rosenthal I don't know. understand? I don't know if they really had a relationship. Uh, yeah, you know, like I don't know. Carpenter is kind of notorious for just uh, you know it's business. It's all business. Um, they were Rose- that- Rosenthal goes on to uh, marry. Um, the nurse, the woman who plays the nurse, she plays the nurse very quickly in the beginning of the first movie mm. with with Loomis in the car, and the and like they pull up and they're like all these all the crazy they letting him out. out. <laughs> that's that's for me. That's probably the scariest scene of that whole original movie. Where it's like they they let him out now, and it's like it's raining out. You see them all just wandering around <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. on the ground. Like, no, he's out. Uh, she plays that. Maybe, I was, I'm trying to think what her nurse chambers maybe. Well, she reprises her role. Yeah, Marilyn that, Chambers, Nancy Stevens. She pl- replies, She reprises her role and has a much bigger part in uh, Halloween 2. She also has like a little bit of a tiny part in Escape from New York. So she's one of those like Carpenter Hill uh, contract players. But she has a much bigger part. In, and she ends up marrying Rick Rosenthal. Um, I think they're married. I think they're still married. God bless them if they're still married. I like that. Longevity. Uh, they were thinking of shooting it in 3D, but I guess that was dropped quickly. They're like, you know. Well, that would have been pretty early for the 3D. You know, yeah, right? around Cause, that. Around. Because it comes out the same year as Friday the 13th Part, part two. 2. And when 3 hits, it's like, yeah, the third, third Friday the 13th, the third Jaws, now the third Now, it does Amityville. well because it comes out the same year as The Friday Howling. Friday the, uh, the Howling. Uh, there's an Omen movie, Omen, Omen 3, 3, maybe. Yeah. And, it, and it does, even though it, do, it does better in, in the box office than all of them. Although, I don't know if, if it's. It's praised critically, or maybe it is. I don't. Th- at the time, I don't believe it was. It, at the time, a lot of people were like, "It's more of the same shit," or the gore, blah blah blah. I think there's one critic. I can't remember her name. Critic for the New York Times, who would, like notoriously didn't like horror movies, didn't review horror movies well. She was like, "You know what? It's pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty good. The blood, but over time, it's been it's got it's a- been like it's been received. You know, it, it's aged well. Um, like people look back on it and you're like, you know what, that shit wasn't so bad. Yeah, bad. Well, uh, they, they decided not to shoot it in 3D because they thought because of the night shooting it would be too too involved. Um, and then they talk. Carpenter says when he uh, saw the original cut, he just said it. He saw the rough cut and he said it wasn't scary. It just looked like an episode of Quincy. He's like, this is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he said that's why he says he went into, to, to post production and, and he wanted to, to make it on par with the competition coming out. Which I guess you're right. You know, he, you had to compete. Yeah, but I just wonder. It begs the question: like, if they kept it as uh, you know similar as the first one, could it have still maybe been the fright still been there minus the gore? But at the time, everyone had upped the gore. Up. It, I mean, it, we're it, talking about it's not like it came out in '79. Yeah, it's eighty eighty one. You know, eighty one. So, so you have everything. Everything's gory. I mean, how many you have like the burning, the prowler, freaking uh, you know. Of course, Dawn of the Dead had already been out, so it's gory as all hell. So there's a lot of gore out there now, you know. And especially these, like you said, Maniac, these slasher movies where it's just Tom Savini's just fucking people up left and right. 
you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's My like, Bloody Valentine, which I don't know what year My Bloody Valentine is, but that's, that's gory as well. Um, you know, the, it becomes the thing. I mean, it becomes the norm. Like, yes, would it have been... They actually even... They, they, they characterize this as a splatter film even more than, like, a slasher film because of, of the, the gore that Carpenter put into the son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um... Yeah, I, it's it's weird. I don't know. I don't know how. I w- that's really interesting. How that I, I, I'm curious if they'd ever put out like a. You probably have every special edition that's ever come out of this thing, but I wonder if they'd come out with like a Rosenthal special edition. Like yeah, his maybe. Cut, you know, maybe. I mean, probably at some point. I mean, the thing about the Halloween movies is that they are evergreens in the DVD business. Them yeah. and Evil Dead, like you will never see more editions of a movie <laughs> that's not public domain. Yeah. Um. You know, just last, I think it was last year. First of all, what's interesting about this movie, just to show you, like, the power of, like, time in this movie, is a couple of years ago, I reviewed a Blu-ray edition put out by Universal of this movie for Video Watchdog Magazine. Which I think Podwood's, our sister site, we we, we had to review that. I might have, yeah, we might have then put, like, the writer's cut of that review on the Podwitz uh, site. Um, actually, you know what? I re-reviewed it when... I think I re-reviewed it when uh, the, the Scream Factory Blu-ray came out because that's my point, is that it came out... We'll put a link to that in here. We put a, it comes out on Blu-ray uh, without a whole lot of stuff. Some, uh, some deleted scenes and then a pretty fucking awesome documentary that has nothing to do with Halloween 2 other than it's hosted by Donald Pleasance called Terror in the Isles, which is just about like horror movies. Who years that? Around the same time. Oh, okay. I think that's why they... Hello! I, I think he's... They were probably... You know what? He very well could... I think it was probably for television, and he was probably promoting... It was probably like in conjunction with the release of Halloween 2. Um, great movie. Big, great Dave movie. Which, Quinslay, you're listening to this now. Last week... We, a we did a side cast of uh, the ha- of uh, not the Howling Silver, Silver Bullet, Bullet, where I I talked about Silver Bullet with a with an old tr- a trusted friend of Dion's and mine named Dave. Um, Terror in the Isles is a Dave Hast- is a Dave Hastings movie. He loves that. <laughs> I've never seen I, it. That's how I first saw it. Um, so that's the the Blu-ray comes out now. That Blu-ray is a little bit notorious because they chop off the Mustafa Akkad. Yeah, now this, that's what I was going to get to, what, what's going on with that. That was a huge controversy where uh, they replace that credit, Mustafa, Mustafa Akkad, is yeah, that Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's his presents. They chopped that off and, because he owned the, what, the international rights or something? Something. He had something. He was one of the money people. They, re, they replace it with Universal. He becomes, like, even more than the Blands, he becomes, like, the Halloween guy, like Mustafa. And even now, like, his son, like a mod. <laughs> Ahmad Rashad, <laughs> whatever his son's name is, Mustafa Akkad. Yeah, they they, they he, replaced it with Universal MCA Company Presents, and that was like people. And were it like, was Fuck like you. people were up in arms about. I it. mean, even to the point where they had to, um, the, the Universal actually uh, on November twenty eighth of that year, they 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 started sending out emails announcing that it. They had revised the Blu-ray, and it would be now available for owners of the previous disc who bought it. To, they can, they can send for it, and they get it. Within, yeah. I mean, that's how up in arms these people were about. So this. they released this Blu-ray. People are up in arms about that. A beautiful transfer. I'm surprised people give a shit. It's like them just, you know, taking off, like you know, a Dino De Laurentiis. It's I like, know, you know, oh, but fuck he, that, but, Dino must, but that name became so linked to the Halloween movies. It was like. 
not opening with that title. It's like when we go see, I mean, it's, it's like, but totally different. Going to see this new Star Wars movie without the Fox 20th century. Like, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like that's, and then like into the Star Wars. It's going to be weird. Yeah. Having that follow. Mickey. Tinkerbell. Not having like that big Fox 20th century like fanfare. For the new Star Wars coming out in December um, of this recording. But so people want to see them, you know, and credit where credit's to him. I mean, Stafford Cod's the one guy that was like fucking on Halloween till the end of time. Um, well, they so they and they, then a year later, they do wait. This uh, Shout Factory, a subsidiary of Shout Factory, Scream Factory, puts out a fucking souped up extra special, you know, your mother's gonna love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no matter what, <laughs> you know. So it's like within a year or less, like. This movie gets two like decent Blu-ray releases. So that's just like go just to show you like the like the fan base that's grown for this movie over the time. Great, uh, great Blu-ray by the way. And then just I think it's last year, uh, Scream Factory, Shout Factory teams up with uh, Anchor Bay and like Miramax or whoever owns all of them. All the people who own the other ones, and they release the entire Halloween set. Is that even with the new... Um, even with the Rob Zombie ones. So it's all of that. Like freaking 20 movies right there. And then that one, and then the special edition that comes out from Scream Factory, it has, I believe, a Blu-ray of the television. Not a DVD of the television edition. The, the, television the producer's version. cut, or whatever they call it, the TV cut. Yeah. But that's the first time you see the producer's cut released of that box set, which is now... You can now get it on its own, but that's the first time you see the producer's cut of Halloween 6. Being officially like an actual release of it was that box set. Now I think this year they just released a Halloween Six or Revenge was it Revenge of Michael Myers. Um, that producer that's, that's that, Curse that, of Michael Myers. Curse know? of Michael Myers. That's the yeah, last yeah. one with Pleasance. He's like he yeah, passed yeah. away right around. Or that one is notorious for having a producer's cut, like a different a cut that's totally different than the what was theatrically released. And uh, forever, that was the bootleg that you would get, like at horror conventions and stuff. You what's the What's the deal with that one? You know what? I've never watched the producer's cut of it. Yeah, I should. I've never seen Maybe five next or six. Halloween. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that one. As a, we'll go all out of order. I, I actually love. I after we watched three last year, I went and f- watched four, and I love four. Four Four's to me had good. like a, I, I'm a big fan of five. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen five, but I have. Five is like picks up right where four yeah. leaves off. Well, four to me has like that energy of like you know Jason Lives Part Six of Friday the Thirteenth, where it's just like you're running and it's like yeah, you know, it's like it starts on a full like much like this movie. My only problem with five is they add like these two like bumbling deputies and try to add like. A little, Some comedy, a little comedy with like cheesy comedic music, but other than that, stylistically, five's very cool. Takes up right where four leaves off. But going back to uh, the power of two, yeah, the power the Halloween two has aged well over the uh, well, over the years. It came out and it, 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 it grossed uh, set over seven million in the opening weekend. And the novelization that we talked about before was done by horror and sci fi writer Dennis Etchinson, who was he was doing it under the pseudonym Jack Martin. And the novelization became a bestseller as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you don't really see that. Like, yeah, I know The Omen did. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you don't really see that too often, uh, that a novelization of a movie. We're, we're always proponents of a you novelization. Know, I'll, I'll often a, mo- a book that's a bestseller becomes a movie. Yeah. But it's not very often that a book based on a movie becomes a bestseller. And then so at the end of that, 
you know, they, they asked uh, Carpenter in an interview, like, in, like, 82 or 81, uh, uh, you know, what do you think? He's like, it's dead. You know, Loomis is fucking dead. Mike Myers is yeah, dead. Yeah. They blew up, for Christ's sake, you know? Because yeah, yeah. at the end of that, he's like the Terminator. He's on fire. He's walking around. It's like, you know, it's like, what the hell? You know, you I know. love, you know, the thing about horror movies, and it's... They in, remember they're shooting them, and the, 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 the bloody tears are coming there out. There is something, and I, you know what? Coincidentally, I think I mentioned it also in the Silver Bullet sidecast. There is something about horror movies where, like, people have, like, the fucking best aim and that they always hit somebody in the eyeball. <laughs> yeah. They don't, even, they don't even damage the mask. And I guess we should, since we're touching on it, uh, we should talk about the mask because uh, this is the original mask from the first movie. Yeah. Um, it, it looks different because um, Nick Castle, when they were shooting the first movie, when he wasn't wearing it, he had stuff in his pocket. So I kind of aged yeah, and cracked it. Well, they also, like, to make it look that way, they kind of painted it. Yeah, so. I mean, people know by now, I mean, that it's basically, it's a, it's a Captain Kirk mask. Yeah. That's amazing to me. There's, they took a Captain Kirk mask, they altered it, probably cut the eyes out, I guess, They right? widened the eyes, I think removed the sideburns. And then they, and then, and then they painted it white. It's amazing they had a Captain Kirk mask with real hair. Yeah. And they painted, the, they must have did something with the hair, because the hair's like, what, orange or maybe? I think it's just like a lighter brown. And they, they painted it white. Now, uh, Deborah Hill, who's a chain smoker, she also kept it underneath her bed between the two movies. So it, it kind of looks like it's kind of nicotine stained in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's his face? Warlock. He kind of has a different build. He had to wear lifts in the movie because he's not as tall as, as Nick Castle. Yeah. And he's kind of he's kind of wider or heavier so it fits differently but then at the end of this since they thought that um you know mike myers is fucking dead they they let him keep everything yeah so i wonder where that one mask because but i guess you know there's no mask in three and then well that's actually a pun there is there's a shitload of masks <laughs> there's in three, a lot of masks but there's three, no there's not michael myers except on television but then in four so it's a different mask yeah. but uh, it's a, a fucking horrible mask is, yeah in comparison it's amazing to me because people are such uh, aficionados, like I have friends of mine that I work with who uh, have spent. I know one person who will remain, name, remain nameless who spent six hundred dollars on a replica of this Halloween mask, yeah, yeah. and I, I find that there's amazing. a company out. They released it a couple of years ago. Uh, they released the Halloween three masks. It's a okay, mask, yeah, com- yeah. mask company, and they released a Halloween mask. This, you know, Michael Kirk Myers, Kirk. and then Halloween Two mask that has like the red tears. Sorry, I just hit the microphone. Has the re- the red te- like the blood tears. Oh, that's crazy. Um, and it, it is. I've never seen it in person, but when you look at it on the website, it is the best looking mass produced Halloween. You know, Michael Myers mask but that I've seen. It looks fucking exactly. I like don't that. understand it because it's um. There's people. There's another site that I've seen uh, that. He's he's calling it the shape mask, so he's not really because probably copyright infringement, yeah, yeah, you know, or the creeper mask or something, and and, and he wants two fifty for that. So it's yeah. like there's these guys, so it's like I, you know, and I I always thought you know how cool would it be if somebody out there was to fucking find the seventies Star Trek mask of Kirk, yeah, yeah, and then do and your own, make own. your own Kirk, you know, and then, <laughs> then you have an original mask in it, you know. Yeah, I, I wonder, I wonder, you know, I, mean, I but, wonder if what, what Dick Warlock did with it. I wonder if he brings it out to like conventions and stuff. You, you think, know, or because like, he evidently brings he has it out, like in a glass case. Yeah, he like, has see the, the original, Michael but he has the jumpsuit. They they let him keep the jumpsuit. They let him keep the scalpel. They let him keep maybe his shoes. So yeah, he has yeah. the whole freaking outfit. Yeah, yeah, and that is the original mask. So that could be like. 
you can have that in the freaking Smithsonian. They're you know, starting a uh, next next to Archie Bunker's freaking chair, Parker ve- Lounge, yeah. and uh, it, Victoria uh, <laughs> Julia Child's kitchen. Fonzie's jacket, Fonzie's jacket, and, and, and freaking the Captain Kirk. It could Kirk go mask. there, or um, they're trying to they're trying to start people that started a big uh, science fiction museum a couple years ago. They're now trying to start like a horror museum um, that just had a Kickstarter campaign. Um, that should, but that should be there. You know? Yeah, th- th- that would be your uh, relief. That would almost be as like legendary as like having, you know, it's like freaking Barnum and Bailey. Like PT Barnum could be bringing that <laughs> around, like you know, having like the Siamese, you know, inbred See monkey. Mask, the sea lion. Scared America. Yeah, here it is. Here, it's actually the Captain Kirk mask. And I wonder if anyone's ever asked Shatner about it. You know, it's because I'm it's sure a, they must have. That's great. It's Shatner's. Rob freaking, Shatner's like, yeah, I want, I want to take. Give me some money. <laughs> It's my likeness. I'm yeah, so in. I'm, I'm, you know, your he wasn't getting anything at the 70s anyway. He was sleeping in a van, they say. Now, uh, on a personal note of Halloween 2, uh, um, uh, I first saw this movie going into college. Late in high school, I start to become very into horror movies. Um, this is the where we go really go walk, walk the nostalgic walk down memory lane. I start to uh, be, really become... Uh, into horror movies, kind of not starting, but the real movie that kind of really kicked it into overdrive was John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Badness for me. I become into horror movie. I get into horror movies. I come to film school, and uh, there's a lot of deciding factors that start to fuel that love for horror movies. And one of them is a television show called Monster Vision, hosted by Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah. That was on TNT. I believe on Saturday nights. Yeah, I think Saturdays because we brought that up during the Warriors cast because he did an episode. Yeah. Of the, he did the Warriors. The f- I believe that the first episode of Monster Vision I ever saw, if it's not the first one, it's the second one. I can't remember which one's first. Uh, Serpent of the Rainbow by Wes Craven or Halloween 2. But one of the first ones I watch is Halloween 2. Now, I'm, at this point, I'm a big John Carpenter fan. I had seen the, you know, obviously I had seen Halloween, but my love for Carpenter is still growing because later that year we revisit the thing which we talk about in the thin cast and then like f- fucking doors all, and then i'm all in yeah you know that doors slam like, open and then for years i actually thought carpenter directed this yeah i mean i guess he kind of did but i mean yeah. like i thought it was his tour de force he came back and you're like no i was like oh so i had never seen this movie and the first time i see it is on monster vision hosted by joe bob briggs um and with Fascinating little tidbits in between the, at during the commercials, uh, before the before and after the commercials. Somebody should put those out. Put his his cuts of the movies out. Well, you know where <laughs> well, you know what you can. I think you can find a lot of the some of the Monster Vision stuff. Like his offer his stuff. I tried to get it on the iOffer. Yeah, that's that's and where it, we got to get the Nasty Boys stuff for the TV <laughs> and show on iOffer. Like, I've tr- actually tried to get it on. How iOffer. cool would that be? Where you have like cuts of the movie. And then you could play. You have a you have a DVD option playing with the wraparounds yeah, yeah. of, of uh, Joe Bob or without the wraparounds. That would be awesome. Because you know, Joe Bob Briggs started on uh, the Movie Channel. He did a show, which I guess is the same thing. And it's just what's his real name? You've met John him. Bloom. Yeah, and you said it's kind of a disappointment, right? That 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 you know he kind of doesn't look down at the character, but he's kind of like, yeah, it's a character I play. You know, it's um, no. I met. I'm. I one of the a job. You know, we went to film school, and, and nowadays I work mostly in television in terms of as an editor um but there was a time there where you know you just do jobs yeah, and yeah. a friend of mine uh steven who's a little bit older than us uh he would often work for a company that was run by people that 
graduated from the same school that we went to that was based in L.A. called Automat Pictures. And they were really the pioneers of the DVD bonus features, Laserdisc and DVD bonus features. So whenever there was something in New York, like a person in New York, instead of fly somebody to New York or fly that person to L.A. to interview them for a bonus feature, they would call my buddy. Yeah, and then you just run a hotel room. And, and they would run a hotel. hotel room, and he would interview them. And, and you met Garth Ennis, the, the, the writer who... John Ramita. Ramita, uh, for The Punisher 2003. Buck Henry. Thomas Jane. <laughs> uh, Garth Ennis rebooted the, for The Punisher Max series, and John Ramita, who invented The Punisher. That's why you met them. Yeah. Uh, Buck Henry. For That was for, for Serial Mom, maybe? <laughs> Serial mom, uh, and then you met you met Joe Bob there, and Joe, he's not really even like uh, Southern. Like I've met uh, Larry the Cable Guy several times, greatest guy in the world. His real name something Whitney, and he you just talk to him, he's just talking like us. But then as yeah. soon as he gets into the character, yeah, what well, I'm going to start yeah. talking, he just get really into it, and he'll start talking with a Southern accent. Well, the, you know, the funny thing was because of my knowledge of horror movies and my knowledge of Joe Bob Briggs and for Punisher kind of my knowledge for a little bit you know i would say i would not say that i have a great knowledge of comic books but you, you know more so than than uh my buddy steven he would hire me for these jobs to be a pa so i'd be getting like coffee i'd be doing all kinds of like menial jobs but at the same time he would hire me and he would basically interview me before the person showed up to be interviewed so that he could be <laughs> yeah, knowledgeable. And- so that he was up on it. And so they were interviewing. They're doing two things. They were going to, uh, for Joe Bob Briggs, they were, for the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre DVD. The first one. Yeah. the That, uh, whatever that one, Jessica Beale. Yeah, I, I actually like that one. And what's his face? Arlie Ermey's in that too. Yeah. Yeah. So they're interviewing um, an ex, like the world's leading expert on Ed Gain. Mm. which we interviewed him for like two and a half hours and it was wow. fascinating. Um, and that's the one you told me with the story with him and freaking Warner Herzog. <laughs> they were going to go like dig up Ed Gaines' body. <laughs> yeah, no, they are going to dig up Ed Gaines' mother's body yeah, and see if she was there. Because there. there was this rumor <laughs> that they didn't, nobody knew if the body was still there had he dug it up already. Um, it that's was, weird. Uh, out. That's way in the weeds here. And, uh, and Joe Bob Briggs. And then they were also going to shoot this other thing because they were trying to pitch a show for Showtime that was good, basically going to be like the O'Reilly show but with joe bob what? on showtime at the time and now i don't think it ever became a show so we shot these things with with joe bob and it was going to be based on uh something it was based on a book that he wrote called profoundly disturbing and he was going to play maybe that's a maybe that's a different show but there was a show they were trying to pitch a show based on a book called profoundly disturbing which is a fucking awesome book for anybody that uh, that joe bob wrote that yeah well his it, real name um john bloom yeah. but i think it is by joe bob briggs on the cover um, they talk about some great movies in there. And then he did a profoundly erotic, which is like not as good because they cover a lot of that stuff in the first one. Anyway, so for Joe Bob Briggs, Stephen's like, will you read Profoundly Disturbing? And uh, so I read Profoundly Disturbing, go there. And then my job for that day was just to, because Joe Bob was there for like multiple reasons and they had to do different setups for everything. My Basically, my 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 job was to hang out with Joe Bob Briggs. For, Keep him occupied. For a day, yeah, get him what he wanted, you know, uh, just kind of make small talk with him so he's just not like sitting there awkwardly by himself. It was like kind of entertain Joe Bob. And um, 
I would say it's disappointing, but it was a little jarring in that you get there and it's like he's not Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah. He's once the camera comes on, he's Joe Bob Briggs. But when he's when the camera's not on, he's John Bloom. You know, that's one of the things I think we've talked about before in the cast that when you 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 work or are in a situation where you meet these people that you hold on such like a like a pedestal. Not so much to the, to this example you're giving, but yeah, yeah. you meet somebody and you have a certain you expectation know, in your head of what, what they are, and they're completely that. You know, say for yeah, instance, yeah. they're a fucking dick. Yeah, and, you know, and you have this. You know, like I've uh, take away everything you heard recently in the news about Bill Cosby. But I grew up. I there's about three of his LPs that I know back to front. And it's like I always heard from people prior to, to what's happened now is that, like, you know, he's kind of a douchebag because, you know, people met him at Temple. I work with people who worked with him on the Cosby show. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's, but, you know, I've met Sylvester Stallone. He was kind of like a, but yeah, yeah. you got to remember, too, these people are freaking gods. So it's like you think of from their point of view what they have to deal with with yeah. people day to day. So. And you also, you know, you're catching you them on a bad one day. minute yeah. of a Who knows day. what's going on, you know? So it's, it's always sometimes hard. You have to wrap it around, you know, one, you got to go meet this person. Two, you're not in a situation where they're ready to meet people. So say if you're like, you know, having them signing stuff at a convention. Yeah. Three, you're bothering them because you're on their time. And four, are you going to be all right with the fact that they could possibly not be who you yeah, think they yeah. are in your head? I you mean, know, in this case, he was perfectly nice. He just wasn't Joe Bob it's, it's like Shatner from the, that real famous Saturday Night Live episode. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> don't you guys, you, you probably, have you ever kissed a girl? Come on, it's a TV show. You know? And the funny thing is that day, Stephen is telling me that he's lobbying for a job to get the job to produce the special features for a fly David Cronenberg's The Fly DVD that was going to come out at the time. He's like, yeah, I'm trying to get a this job. Yeah, they were going to release it as like a special edition. And he's asking me all these questions about it. Like, do you know of any like interesting things that I could maybe talk about in the in my interview for it? And I was like, oh yeah, they shot these extra scenes. There's, I mean, they didn't shoot extra scenes, but there's scenes that they cut out because people fucking passed out during the movie in the movie theaters and there's test screenings. And he's asking me all these questions. I'm like, oh, and there's this and there's that. And he's like, how do you know all this? And I'm like, from Joe Bob Briggs. He's coming in. <laughs> He's going to be here in an hour. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so Monster Vision, Halloween 2. That, and then that became, that episode became the, what made me fucking fall in love with Monster Vision, what made me fall in love with Halloween 2. It, that show really sparked kind of like, really kicked my love for horror movies into overdrive. Um, there's a lot of other factors. Um, and in in the vein of like my love for Halloween too, I just need to mention some of my favorite things about the movie. Okay, which are one you kind of talked about it earlier. The kid with the razor blade in the mouth, so fucked up. Yeah, and and it's not really even explained, so you have to kind of like yeah, it's piece like it we kind of come in and there's a kid and he's going walking into his into the hospital with his mother and he's got a fucking razor blade sticking out of his mouth and the mother's not really that bothered. She's just I keep pressure on it. <laughs> Where's your father when I need him? <laughs> Coincidentally, that kid is Adrian Barbeau's son in the movie The Fog. Look, oh okay, yeah, uh, she's the one with the uh, housekeeper. Or the, yeah, or yeah. The, or there's like a nanny. Yeah, or nanny, your grandmother, or whatever she is. Grandmother goes outside. Goes Who's outside there? Finds the black wood on the beach yeah. and stuff. Um, so that always stuck out of my mind because that is like incredibly well, fucked that, up. That book ends at the beginning of this cast. But back then, that was you had to watch. I guess there was some dude putting some son of a bitch was putting razors into apples. It's like who the fuck would do that? And who knows if it's an urban legend or it really happened? But yeah, that yeah. was like a I fear. Mean, fuck, like doing it. To be fucked up. We did. Th- we talked about this last year, and, that, and this is like a year because we were saying like, 
it's not really that hard. You're going to get caught. <laughs> and I mean, who's the dude giving out apples on the block? It's it's uh, old man, you know, old man Thornton over there. Yeah. I and mean, like, it's easy to get caught. And then think about like the time it has to take. To put a, to put, yeah. to put the rate, without hurting yourself too. You're yeah, putting yeah. it in there and then you're trying to like, I don't know, what do you paint it? <laughs> so you can't see the the whole. Yeah, yeah. Now, apparently, Dino De Laurentiis, uh, he's one of the producers of the movie and he was kind of covering, you know, foreign distribution for the movie. He wanted that out. <laughs> Funny enough. Well, uh, he was like, that's too fogged up. <laughs> you can't have a kid with a razor blade. Well, we, we can talk quickly about the... Because uh, they all talk the same. It, you yeah, couldn't have all... the kid with the razor blade. You can't do that because it's going to be hurt in him. That's not even... That's a really bad Italian impersonation. But it came out. It was banned in Iceland. It was banned in West Germany, which is very ironic because, yeah, like, yeah. you know, West Germany, like, so, like, the, the fucking uh, the, the communist East Germany side, like, we're like, yeah, we'll keep it in on the other side of the Berlin Wall, yeah, yeah. you know, and then I think it was banned someplace else, maybe, like, in South America, something like that. So that's my first thing that I love about that movie. Second thing is there's this very odd little exchange. Um, it's when they go and uh, basically go to the house, and I think it's when they're wheeling out her friend. Played, played by Nancy Loomis. The one who's dead. The one who's dead, the, the sheriff's daughter. Who actually is the actress who's on the phone. She's the voice actress that who call, somebody calls at the beginning then on the phone, and then she's the one on the other end. She does. She just delivers the voice dialogue. She was, I think, married to Tommy Lee Wallace at the time. She ends up playing Tom Atkins' wife in Halloween 3. She's, assault, she's in Assault for Precinct 13. She plays Janet Lee's assistant in The Fog. So she's, she's kind of tied in stuff. with all that stuff. Um, there's this thing where, like, the deputy... You know, he's talking to uh, Dr. Loomis about everything, and he takes a cigarette, and he offers a cigarette to Loomis. Loomis takes a cigarette, and Loomis is talking, and the deputy lights the lighter. And then, like, he lights it for Loomis, but Loomis is still talking, so Loomis doesn't take, like, the opportunity to light it then. And then the guy's like, okay, and then he hands... There's all this stuff going on with the lighter. And the only thing I can imagine is that, like, we have to make sure the audience knows that he has a lighter at the end of the movie. No, because he's able to ignite the... Uh, <laughs> because he ignites the, the gas. Yeah. So there's this very awkward exchange with, like, this lighter happening. And I love it because it's so weird. Now, the other and probably the best... Not the, you know, not the best thing in the movie, but, like, the weirdest thing about the movie is... You alluded to it earlier. Is the trick-or-treater <laughs> who's, like... Poor son of a bitch. Poor son of a bitch. He's got a mask that looks like the Michael Myers mask with white hair. I mean, Michael Myers steals that mask from like a hardware store in town. So, so yeah, he didn't be the other kid. He bought the other mask. That day. He bought the, the other one. Yeah. And he's a tall guy. He's, he's trick-or-treating by himself. So he gets, he walk, looks like. He's walking around. He goes across the street. Apparently, this police car is going to run into this van. Yeah, he just happens to get in the middle. Of yeah, it. and what's the van? Is the van backing out of a driveway, or it just stalled like perpendicular a, into a, on a? It's sitting sideways on a street. Completely absurd. So they kill. They're like, "Oh, we got Michael Myers." They slam into him, and it blows up. It blows up. They go to like the corner. The corner's like, I don't know. This guy seems like he's a lot younger than Michael. He's Myers. burnt beyond recognition. So, so we find out later. In the scene with the cigarette lighter, some kids come up and they're like, we don't know what happened to Ben Tramer. We don't know what happened to Ben Tramer. He left the party. You know, he was wearing a mask. And uh, Loomis is like, Loomis we need a dentist. Ben Tramer is the guy that Laurie Strode has a crush on. 
In the first one? In the first movie. When they're walking at the beginning, they're they all talking w- they about want him. him. They want him to ask her to the dance, to like the homecoming dance or whatever. So Laurie Strode is having the worst fucking day. Wow. Because then all the- her friends got killed. Yeah. She almost gets killed. Her, the boy she has a crush on gets killed. And Not she, by Michael. And she probably, the cops did it by And then she probably won't find that out for like another week or two. Yeah, she hasn't you know? even found out She was yet. like, I, I, how did the prom go? Was ben, oh, Ben's dead. Ben died Halloween night. because Who did Ben end up going with? Yeah. Oh, he, oh, no, he got... Uh, he got T-boned. And, <laughs> and they had to have a closed casket because uh, it was he was burnt beyond all recognition. And the, did the cops die as well or were they able to get out? I don't remember. I don't remember. They were able to get out of the, the car. cops probably got all right. I think just Ben got... Yeah, they, they, Bennett Tramer. They got a little, uh, a little, and then like the when the sheriff they meet when he sees his daughter's body, he's like, ah, yeah, and then you, you never yeah, see I him think again. He even tries to like attack Loomis. At yeah, that it's, point. Always, it's, it's all that's misplaced anger. Little cat, little not even a cameo, but Dana Carvey's in a little yeah, shot. Silent Lives, Dana Carvey, and it's weird because you can't really see it's him because he's kind of got his like he's kind of like profiled, yeah. and the reporter's like, this is what we're gonna need, and I don't I don't understand what. Is he supposed to be like a PA that works for the? Uh, for I the, think so. He's yeah. just like a assist, like a production assistant to for, like for the, the, the news news crew. He's like, she's like, we're gonna need a statement. Uh, this movie was uh, nominated for two Saturn Awards: Best Horror Film and Best Actor, Donald Pleasance. And it lost to American Werewolf in London, and it also lost, for, I guess, for Best Horror Film, and it lost uh, to Harrison Ford, who was chosen over Pleasance in his role for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Saturn Awards are given out by like some kind of I don't even know if they still have them, but. Used uh, to the be Academy of Science, Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Yeah, and then basically they would have an award ceremony around the same time as award season, like the Oscars and whatnot. And they were like, you know, try to uh, give recognition to the kinds of movies that wouldn't typically that Oscar, get. Yeah, everyone so, get panned. Um, so I mean, awesome little uh, no, yeah. institution, a little committee there. That and it's cool they're nominating stuff like Halloween and like you know, you know, I think uh, Donald Pleasance's role was nominatable. Yeah. You know, and this movie also uh, caused some sort of horrific thing where um, there is uh, in, in 1982 this this uh, dude Delmar Boyer oh, yeah. he murdered his his uh, an elderly couple in Richard, California. Richard Delmar Boyer. Yeah, I'm sorry, Richard Delmar Boyer. Yeah, and then he and he murders an elderly couple in in Fullerton, uh, California. California. And then there's a trial called the People vs. Boyer in 1989. So he's been sitting in prison for what six seven years at that point. And uh, he stabbed a couple 43 times, and in the trial transcript, his defense was that he started seeing hallucinations that were brought on by Halloween 2. So, because uh, he's watched it under the influence of PCP, marijuana, and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. So you shouldn't be mixing so this PCP, guy marijuana, kills, and alcohol. This guy kills these elderly, this elderly couple. Stabs them to death. Like 43 times. So it's not like... It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like overkill, they say yeah. that. You know, usually if you, if you have... And, he, and his defense is that, like, Halloween 2 made me do it. So they actually watched the film. They played the film for the jury. And a psychopharmologicalist uh, f- uh, pointed out the very similarities between the scenes and the, vi- the, the visions the defendant described. And people like, that's fucking bullshit. And so they gave him the death penalty. Yeah, they found him de- guilty. <laughs> and the, the, the whole incident became known as the Hall- Halloween 2 murders. Well, I mean, you think about it. The only scene that you can imagine, I mean, not hearing the actual defense or whatever. The, the only scene is like the elderly couple where he takes the knife. Yeah, and he doesn't even kill them. He just grabs yeah. the knife. He She's just, making like a sandwich. You want a ham sandwich, Harf? So see, I always used to tell, <laughs> that was the scene where I always used to try to tell people that that's the, that he uh, makes a sandwich. That's mm-hmm. the scene where he makes a sandwich. He's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> the next scene is like him with the, <laughs> 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 the 
<laughs> mask up over his mouth so that he can. Um, so uh, sleepovers, uh, bucket of pizzas, bucket of pizzas. Oh, for me, uh, what do we do? Five? Yeah, the, I'd say. F- fuck it, I'm going five. Five out of five. I love this movie. Wow, this is a big. This, movie is, this is a near and dear to your heart. Yeah, because I've, I, you know, I can't justify saying that I like this movie as much as the first Halloween. And then not give it the amount of bucket of pizzas that I would. That's true because it's, that, it's, that it's I like would, that I would give Halloween. Yeah. So I have to. For me personally, I'm not saying, you know, that anybody has to agree with me. But for <laughs> me, for me, it's for me it's worth it's worth five bucket of pizzas. That's nice, nice. Love I, this. Movie. I'd give it maybe two and a half, three sleepover stars. Um, Understandable. Uh, it's not for everybody. Recommendations. Oh. Well, first of all, you gotta see. Do you haven't seen the first one? <laughs> if you haven't seen the first one, you gotta see that. If, let's see recommendations. Uh, trick or treat. Trick or treat. That is very good. That that movie came out not too long ago, and they, they they've announced that. Uh, I think they're going to be doing a sequel to that. Uh, and that came out what maybe two thousand eight, nine, ten. It's a it's a fun. I mean, it's a very cool, fun, like multiple story. Uh, it's almost like a, uh, but they're all tied together though, which is kind of yeah, neat. Yeah. There's like this little character that ties them all together. It's, it's like a little anthology uh, in the like lore or in the vein of like uh, Creep Show. 2007. Or, there you go. So yeah, I would recommend that one because you know you're watching Halloween, you're getting into the whole Halloween thing. And then they have the uh, that there was another movie that came out around this time called Visiting Hours in 1982, hmm. which, which also took place in a hospital. So, uh, I don't think I know that one. Yeah, and it's modeled, and even the score is, uh, is, the theme music for Visiting Hours is modeled after John Carpenter's Halloween score. So it came out in 82. Uh, it's about uh, uh, another hospital horror movie, Craze Killer launched, uh, you know, he's killing people in a hospital. So, um, What would you say would be a good recommendation? For this movie? Um, so, you know, you could I could have went with, like, another slasher movie. Yeah, that's... It would be a good accompaniment, but I was... For me, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I went with, like, another Halloween-themed movie. But I, what, I would probably what, have to go with, like, a lesser-known slasher movie. Like, you know, I know, like, uh, a lot of people maybe not have seen Tom Savini's The Burning or The Prowler. And I, I, I kind of, out of those, like The Prowler. Well, I mean, he did the special effects. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, he's connected <laughs> to them because he did the special effects. And he did some really, you know... Great movies. Prowler tour uh, force. by... Uh, Joseph Zito? Yeah. Good old Zito. I can't Zito. remember who did Inferno. Inferno has a great special edition out. I believe you mean the Skid Burning? Frank. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. The, the, the Burning. Furning of Inferno, you're thinking of... Uh, yeah, uh, Argento. Argento. The, 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 the Burning has, has a cool uh, special edition out by Scream Factory. Yeah, and the, I mean, those are basically... And then, you know why it got, got confused? Because... The fire. <laughs> uh, one, the fire, but... Uh, What's his face from Seinfeld's in it? Well, he's in it, but it, there's a commentary track with the guy that I interviewed, who's like the Dario Argento expert. Oh yeah, the film critic from uh, from I interviewed a film critic. Um, I believe it's. I want to say like Ironside, but that's not his name. No, no, I can't. Yeah. I can't he English. He's an English. Uh, he's a British guy. Yeah. Fascinating guy. I did a in, super in depth interview with him. I believe that it's going to be it's you included as one of the extras for. For uh, oh, yeah, we just because you did it for the just came out on the on the sidecast we premiered on the horror recommendations. Yeah, yeah, that just came out two weeks ago. So there's a link to it because last week we had a whole crap. We had we had we had we premiered the sidecast, which we're, we're reissuing for Podwitz, and then you as an extra on our off week, we, you did a sidecast for original one with Dave with Dave our, on Silver Bullet, our contributor. 
So that interview is, uh, yeah, is attached there, and he talks about um, what the burning. No, it's just that he he does an audio, he does an audio commentary track on the special edition of the burning, oh. and I got confused because he's a big a lot of what I well, a lot of what I talked to that guy about was the was Inferno because he like myself's favorite. Argento movie is Inferno. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so he loves Inferno, and I love Inferno. So that's that was that train of thought. I was just explaining the train of thought of why I got the confused. Um, Plus, the, there's the burning in Inferno. Uh, what's thing. what's his name from uh, Seinfeld? Jason Alexander. Yeah, Jason Alexander. It's a, it's an early part for him, and there's somebody else is in it too. I forget the girl's name. Uh, there's a there's a female that's like. Uh, you know, has a very small part, but she's like on the baseball diamond at the beginning when they're playing. Yeah, yeah, uh, I can't remember. But that's not even my pick. My pick is the the prowler. Prowler. I, think, I like the prowler. Prowler is great. Prowler's a, uh, geez, what is it? It it, it starts off in the forties. There's a uh, like on a prom night. You guys are coming back from World War Two, and then uh, the, flashback to like 1981 or whenever it is. And uh, I think Farley Granger's in it. Isn't he Farley Granger in the prowler? I believe so because I, I always so get that mixed to be honest, up. I haven't seen it since we had a sleepover and watched it. Oh, I've, I've, I've over seen it a decade. Since <laughs> yeah, well, the guy is dressed up in a like a like an army. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's in army fatigues and he's got like a, a World War II era helmet on and he has like a kind of like a tarp mask over it. So he's not wearing a mask; he's just wearing like camouflage. You can't really see him, and he's he's killing people with a kind of like a bayonet, and it's it's very yeah. awesome, gory Savini esque effects where he's you know slashing people with bayonets, yeah. into, you know, in the pool and There's in and out. Beautiful exploding head. Yeah, the, at the end of the movie, I don't want to tell you who the killer is, but the killer is fighting with a shotgun, and you, you know you, you get and revealed. Somebody, somebody gets their head blown, and apart. it's a pretty, and it's right. If, Sadly, the shotgun's right in his mouth. <laughs> He's fighting it, and that son of a bitch. Both barrels go off. I think it's a it's a it's a double barrel shotgun and, uh, as opposed to a a, a pump action. And, uh, and, direct, and directed by the great Joseph Zito. Yeah, who we always talking about uh, on this cast. So yeah, that do the prowler because I think that's a lesser scene. Like those three, like the burning, my bloody Valentine, the original. Which I keep thinking, I don't know if Farley Granger's in that one either. And uh, the yeah, prowler, or like Farley Granger on the on the brain. Yeah, good old Farley Granger from uh, what is he in Rope and. Uh, some other stuff. So yeah, that's my thing. So um, thanks for, for for tuning in for this this Halloween special Halloween month of horror. I know the whole month, the whole month we dedicated to horror. Jeez, we they even gave us an extra week, and we we filled that one up to <laughs> five 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 weeks five six weeks casts. six casts. Oof, Jesus. We need to go to rehab now. Then gonna, you'll, we'll be gonna, back in two weeks. We're gonna be, yeah, we're cooling our jets, going yeah. back to the old schedule. Yeah, two weeks, and then before we know, it, Christmas will be here. And watch we do four for Christmas. Oh Jesus! <laughs> then we're not committing to that yeah. yet. We're gonna, we might. Yeah, um, but we'll be back in two weeks, and we got a nice, uh, nice uh, light. It's, uh, well, no, you know, because it's kind of funny that you think it's light, but then at the same time, it's kind of somewhat in this realm of, um, yeah. you know, a creature feature. Yeah, a creature feature, so to speak. <laughs> You know, but it's not horror. Anyway, we got a we got a classic yeah. coming up. Yeah, um, completely. Another one. This is like, you know, I'm like a pig in shit here. I got Halloween two. I love the next movie is another one that I personally love. Yeah, so. it's it's all it's great. So please check us out. Tune in. Um, please check out our website too. Saturday sleepovers dot uh, dot com. Uh, we have a lot of extra stuff there. Uh, we had the black hole come out a couple weeks ago. We had a lot of pictures of us going to the Burbank lot and seeing uh, some props from that. Uh, we have a lot of other exclusive extras that we uh, have. So please check out the website. You know, we're on uh, iTunes. We're on uh, Stitcher. We're on Player FM. We're like on Pod 
Bay. We Pod might, Bay, yeah. Uh, we're we're reminding me about Podroid. Um, However you want to listen to us, you can listen to us. Yeah, you can download us. You can stream us live at our website. You yeah, can, on our uh, website, you can right-click that download you button. You can download save, it directly there. Save you, to your computer. You can get it uh, at one of those stores, uh, those or sites. Or you can listen to it on the website. There's a player. Yeah, well. you can listen to it right there. Um, we have fa- Check us out on Facebook. We do some fun stuff on Facebook, on iTunes. Uh, uh, we said iTunes. On Twitter. Uh, I'm at podwits.com. Uh, Blake, where can they find you? Uh, jblakeblues.com if you want to check out some New York City blues. And uh, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. And please tell a friend, check us out, like us on Facebook, you know, write a review, uh, <laughs> contact love to us. hear from people, review, subscribe. Yeah, thank you so much for the people who, who share. Have been, who've been sharing and, and commenting on our, our stuff on Facebook. That's really exciting. Or on um on Twitter too we get a lot of people too so thank you very much for taking the time comments on the site I've noticed yeah. and then we've been getting some comments on the site so thank you very much for all the kind words and actually taking the time to, to, to pay us a little visit or as the Irish say, say you're paying us a Kaylee so thank you very much and I'll uh, get back to that little Celtic thing so they, they tried to <laughs> say it say him right they just tried to Sam Hayden yeah they tried to uh, just stick it to it he's invincible because he's he's part of the Celtic uh, salsa Winter solstice tradition. Yeah. Interesting. It's unclear. All right. Well, check us out in two weeks from now. We hope you had a good time. Um, You know, God willing, the creeks don't rise. We'll see you next week. Happy Halloween. Later. This is basic civil defense information from the Department of Defense, Office of Civil Defense, Washington. If the United States should be attacked with nuclear weapons, it's almost certain that our networks of warning stations would detect incoming bombers or missiles in time for you to reach shelter or at least take cover. You may receive warning of an attack by radio, television, or through the outdoor warning system in your community. It's important that you learn to recognize the attack warning signal and not confuse it with any other. In most places, the standard attack warning signal is a three to five minute wavering sound or a series of short blasts on whistles, horns, or other devices. Either of these signals means that an actual enemy attack has been detected and you should take protective action immediately. Find out from your local civil defense office the attack warning system that will be used in your community.